Good afternoon to the Tuesday, April 11, 2023 Lawrence City Commission meeting. We will start up tonight with an executive session. So I would ask for a motion. I move a recess in executive session for approximately 30 minutes to discuss a personnel matter involving a city employee pursuant to the non-elected personnel matter exception KSA 75-4319B1. The justification for the executive session is to protect employee privacy. The city commission will resume its regular meeting in the city commission room at approximately 531 after the executive session is concluded. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Passes five to zero. We'll head into executive session. All right, we're back and we have nothing to report, and so we will recess until 545. So. Good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday, April 11th Lawrence City Commission meeting. We will begin with Sherry giving us a few instructions. Thank you, Mayor, and good evening, everyone. If you are attending this meeting via Zoom, please ensure you are muted and your video is off when you are not actively participating in the meeting. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. When you are participating, please unmute and turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat. All chats go directly to the meeting host. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. When the mayor calls for public comment, those attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. Those participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. Participants will be called upon in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. Please state your name before speaking and all comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Sherry. We'll start off with item B, approve the agenda. The city commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. So any commissioner that would like to reorder the agenda? Nope. All right. Move to approve the agenda. Second. Got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Passes five to zero. We're on to recognitions and proclamations, and we'll start with the recognition of the 2023 Boys and Girls Club of Lawrence Youth of the Year. How's everybody? Good. My name is Monica Dittmer. I am proud to be here tonight as your CEO for the Boys and Girls Club here in Lawrence. Uh, on behalf of our board and staff, I appreciate you all allowing us to come and provide our 2023 Youth of the Year some recognition. Just a little background uh, as we start. Since 1947, Youth of the Year has been Boys and Girls Clubs of America's premier recognition program, celebrating the extraordinary achievements of club members. Each year, one exceptional young person from a Boys and Girls Club is selected to be National Youth of the Year. The National Youth of the Year serves as both an exemplary ambassador for over four million Boys and Girls Clubs youth nationwide, and also a strong voice for all of our young people. Youth of the Year embodies the values of leadership, service, academic excellence, and healthy lifestyles. The young person I'm about to introduce to you all tonight is not only our 2023 local Lawrence Youth of the Year, but was also named local and Kansas State Youth of the Year in 2022. Wow. 
Arabella Gipp is a sophomore at Lawrence High School. The daughter of Jessica Gipp, Arabella has been a clubkin since she was five years old. Bella jumps into as many BGC activities as possible. She's danced in multiple Lights on Talent shows, played volleyball and basketball teams, and has served as both a manager and a scorekeeper for our Ball for All Teen Basketball League. Arabella practices a healthy lifestyle through her participation in her club and high school volleyball teams. You can find her at our Center for Great Futures almost every single day, either participating in her favorite programs or even working as our front desk staff. Bella intends to major in political science, and she's a passionate advocate for others and hopes to someday pursue a career in politics. So if you will, I'd like for Arabella to come up and share about her Boys and Girls Club experience with you all. All right. Hi, guys. Take a look at, whoa. Take a look at me. What do you see? Most of you probably said white, Female, confident. Some of you said cool, or even hilarious. <laughs> I walked through the beginning of my life not knowing who I truly was. I let everyone else have their opinions about me without asking what I wanted. I never felt like I belonged. I was always too much or not enough. And I struggled with my anxiety and my identity. I thought I was too white to call myself indigenous. And I thought I liked men too much to call myself queer, but they accepted me for me. I didn't have to change the way I spoke or the way I acted around them. I could be me, the passionate, indigenous, loud, queer, and opinionated woman I am. BGCLK gave me amazing role models to show me that I am enough to call myself all the things I was once too scared to say. In my home, it's just my mama and I. It's been this way for a while, but once I had my nana, aunt, and uncles. But ever since my Nana passed away, our house has been quiet. My family became very small, but BGCLK made it so much bigger. When the Boys and Girls Club of Lawrence came into my life, I instantly knew I belonged. We can have serious talks about growing up, but also have the most heated debate on the newest Drake album. They see me at my lowest, crying on the couch in the high school lounge, and at my highest, jumping up and down in the gym. They were my rock on the days that I felt like I was drifting away from shore. And they were the sunshine on the days that I wanted to cry. I can't thank my mentors enough for the way they've changed my life. Mr. Jordan has brought me out of my darkness at my worst times. And it was my wingman when I planned my mental health resource for on October 1st. Mr. Ethan, Mr. Chris, and Mr. Henry showed me, showed me what a good man is. After my father left, I was scared to trust men. I was afraid that I would get attached and they would leave, but those three men restored my trust. Miss Jennifer, Miss Anisha, and Miss Ruth showed me the gift of confidence. Along with my mom, they're all unapologetically themselves. They make me feel powerful being a woman. BGCLK proved to me that I belonged. They pushed me out of my comfort zone. I used to have proved my worth in every space I walked into because of my age, gender, ethnicity, sexuality, mental health, and social status. I've always had a big voice, but when I was younger, it wasn't polite for little girls to have big emotions or opinions, and I always had to fight the box everyone tried to put around me. I started the club as a scared, shy, five-year-old little girl, curl up in the corner, and now I'm the confident, determined, and 16-year-old young woman standing in front of you today. All thanks to the two things that stay constant throughout my life. 
my mom, and the Boys and Girls Club. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was great. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Congratulations. All right, so we'll move on to item number two, which is to pro proclaim the month of April 2023 as the Fair Housing Month. We've got a few folks that want to come and speak, I believe. <laughs> Hi, friends. Okay. Uh, so, this your, may not be... Your name? Oh, I'm so sorry. My name is Gabby Boyle. Oh, that's so. um, a housing advocate. I work at the Sexual Trauma and Abuse Care Center as a prevention specialist. Um, and um, I also represent a uh, budding tenants group. Um, so it may not be a surprise that I believe that housing is a human right. Uh, I believe that everybody should be safely housed regardless of their identity, their class, or their circumstances. I also believe that this fair housing proclamation will be words on a page unless Lawrence as a community steps up and commits to housing for all. When we joined hundreds of other communities in February uh, by passing uh, source of income protections, that was the first small step to committing to fair housing um, for the future of Lawrence. Um, but it does not end there. That ordinance is going to require money, resources, time, as I'm sure you all know, to enforce. Um, it's going to require a further re-examination of our housing policies, and it's going to require our community to re-examine and some of the biases that we hold most close, most deep, right? Uh, fair housing means holding housing providers accountable uh, for discrimination and unacceptable living conditions. It means reallocating resources to better serve the most vulnerable. Uh, it means addressing the legacies of racism, classism, ableism, and misogyny uh, that still affect our city's housing policies to this day. Um, Without these, uh, proclamation is going to change nothing, so I want this proclamation to be a promise. A promise uh, not only from commissioners, from city employees, but also from community members to embrace new neighbors with open arms, to say yes in my backyard, to housing projects like the one that is on the agenda tonight. Um, a promise to support creative and courageous policy solutions, even when they haven't been tried before, even when they seem scary. Um, a promise uh, to um, support solutions even when they might mean small sacrifices at the expenses of homeowners, landlords, realtors, or, or us who have the privilege to be stably housed. Um, a promise to make visible the systems that perpetuate discrimination, a promise to dismantle them. And finally, a proclamation should be a promise to remember that housing is not an investment, a commodity, or a privilege. It is a basic human right um, that every human being needs to thrive regardless of their identity. So thank you, commissioners, uh, for this proclamation, and I'll pass it to my beloved colleagues. This goes up, right? Yeah. 
I'm not even that tall. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, commissioners. You're going to hear a lot of repeat, so I'll just brace you for that. My name is Mariel Ferredo. Uh, I am landlord liaison and finance manager with the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority. I want to first thank you all so much for inviting us to receive this proclamation. I stand here with this group of amazing humans who have done the work in housing justice. And it is with deep gratitude that I want to recognize the people power, the movers, the shakers that did the work to bring us to where we are today. It's that drive and that passion for housing justice and the necessity of equity that continue to point us to the possibility of more. We witnessed that with the additions to our own anti-discrimination ordinance, adding protections for folks who experience domestic violence, for immigrants, and for those with various sources of income, but the work does not stop. What it does, it begins to create a clearer picture that our future is not one where we view housing as something that is earned, but as housing that is a human right. It also shows us that it cannot just be the folks experiencing the disparities that step up, but this is a community issue that can only be solved through community involvement and community-led solutions. We are living in a housing crisis where lack of tends to be the prevailing theme, where we view disparities as an individualistic issue. But the housing crisis is not an individual issue. The housing crisis is a systemic issue, and it must require the work of the entire community. We are each stakeholders in this very important work. So I hope we move forward and do this work in community. I hope we listen to those experiencing the crisis the deepest and allow them to lead us to the solutions. May we do everything in our power at every turn, no matter how difficult or uncomfortable the steps may be, to create an abundance of housing. We can mold this future to ensure that everyone has enough, and that includes housing for everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Christina Gentry. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, although strongly opposed by the Lawrence Real Estate Board representing local agents, the Fair Housing Ordinance passed the City Commission on July 18, 1967. The stated purpose of the ordinance aims were to provide for general welfare of the citizens of Lawrence by declaiming discriminatory practice in rental leasing, sale, financing, or showing and advertising of dwelling units, commercial units, real property to be against public policy, and provide for enforcement thereof. When our city leaders, when our city elected leaders, then move to adopting ordinances amending city codes to include protections against discrimination based on source of income, as you have voted unanimously to do in February 14, 2023. It sets in place for creative social intercourse in creating more affordable housing. When observed through a lens of equity, unfair housing practices played an important factor in how Lawrence was developed. Operating within is the depth of structural racism that determined where and how BIPOC live and work. Restrictive covenants were used in Lawrence. In 1939, West Hills and its restrictions were the epitome of a neighborhood restrictive covenant. 
all the restrictions were good for 15 years and would be extended for 20 year periods unless the majority of the homeowners or the property homeowners decided otherwise. Although not widely employed, this unfair discriminatory practice set a tone for what was deemed optimal optics to demonstrate a welcoming neighborhood. Thank you, city commissioners, for your vote on Valentine's Day 2023 to include for protections as it relates to affordable housing. It is with this proclamation and including strengthening arguments for housing policy solutions which leverage health, community health, as a basis for action. We give this proclamation today and I encourage the city of Lawrence to move and continue to move in the vein of recognizing housing as a right. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Thank you so much. I've been here uh, for several years to receive this proclamation on behalf of the Human Relations Commission, and it feels so good to be joined by this group of community members who work so hard on this. And thank you all so much to the commission. Passing an ordinance is a really great first step, and I know you guys have a ton of work to do now, so thank you for that first concrete step to set everything in motion for policy change and community change, structural change that provides accessible and affordable housing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'll read the proclamation now. Whereas April 2023 marks the 55th anniversary of the passage of the Fair Housing Act, which provides in Lawrence equal opportunity for all residents in the sale, rental, and financing of housing and prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, age, marital status, disability, familial status, color, religion, sex, or national or origin, sexual orientation, and gender identity. And whereas the City of Lawrence supports efforts to eliminate discrimination in housing by working to educate all of its citizens on fair housing rights and responsibilities. And through enforcement of the fair housing laws, including chapter Chapter 10 of the Code of the City of Lawrence, and whereas it is the mission of the city of the city of Lawrence to create a community where all enjoy life and feel at home, and to utilize effective strategies with a commitment to equality and inclusion in all aspects of daily life for all citizens. And whereas the City of Lawrence Human Relations Commission has been in existence for over 60 years and continues its goal to embrace inclusion and promote goodwill and collaboration across the spectrum of all people of Lawrence. And whereas the month of April is officially set aside as Fair Housing Month throughout the nation. Now therefore I, Lisa Larson, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, in conjunction with the annual national commemoration, do hereby proclaim the month of April 2023 to be Fair Housing Month in Lawrence and ask the people of Lawrence to join me in reaffirming our obligation to fair and equal housing for every person who resides or wishes to reside in our city. Thank you. Okay, we will go on to Public comment, we'll let these folks get out. All right, the pub, uh, 
the public is allowed to speak on issues of uh, or items that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. Comments should be limited to issues and items germane to the business of the governing body. The commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Each person will be limited to three minutes. Do we have any general public comment? Okay. <laughs> there it goes. Hi. Um, my name is Sue Herring. I'm here tonight to talk about a time long ago in a land not far away that a lesson was learned. Land was Kansas and the time was the 60s. Between a conflict in Vietnam and race riots, people were quickly reminded that the government was not their friend. It was a time when it was completely legal to arrest someone for eating in a dime store cafeteria because your skin was the wrong color. It was a time when young men graduated from high school in May and came home in a coffin in December. Flash forward to today. Back then, again, the press was tremendously helpful. It exposed where the government was overreaching. When you flash forward today, once again, our government isn't our friend. During this last crisis, it enforced masking, lockdowns, and so-called vaccinations, all of which violated our constitutional rights. So tonight I'm here asking all of you to reverse your job perceptions. From now on, stand with us when the government overreaches. Remember that the word free state is plastered all over this city. If you are not a native Kansan, read about our history so that you know about those words. Reverse your perception of your responsibility as an elected official. You are not here to implement government overreach. You are here to protect us from it. Thank you. My name is Joe Herrick, and I'd like to address my remarks to all of those individuals who look but do not see. I hope to give a few examples. Let's roll back time. 22 years, September the 10th, 2001. Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld, went before the press and reported that there was 2.3 trillion, not billion, trillion dollars missing that couldn't be accounted for out of the Pentagon. The very next day, 9-11 happened. All of the records were in Building 7, 47 stories high. Nothing hit it. It just fell into its own footprint, just like the Twin Towers. Anybody that knows anything about demolition knows that it is not natural for a building to fall in its footprints. And to this day, we haven't learned the truth. But 
Trust me, it's coming. Now let's fast forward to the latest presidential election. President Biden was the first president in history that wasn't escorted in on a military aircraft or prior to the aircraft military vehicle. That should tell you that the Air Force does not recognize him as president. Now, if you look at President Biden, when he was a senator or a vice president, you will notice that he has detached earlobes. And if you look at some of these imposters that are before the cameras, they have attached earlobes. It's time to wake up and see what's going on. Now, the other thing is in March of 2020, there was one million National Guard federalized, and they're on active duty until March of 24. You didn't hear anything about Biden federalizing the National Guard. So who's in charge? Time to open your eyes. Because until people wake up, this is going to go on forever. Wake up. Thank you. Other public comment? Hi, I'm Chris Flowers. Uh, I'd just like to first off say, um, I think the city should make a proclamation about um, April 20th being 420 and, ju and just recognizing that a lot of people in this city will be celebrating 420 on April 20th. And it doesn't have to just be marijuana because there are stores selling Delta 8 in town. Like, could, could we find a way to help them do to muster up some business. I mean, I, I buy some of the Delta 8 edibles and I, I enjoy them, but um, also I just w I want to address um, last week um, the the agenda item about the the community police, the board to, re uh, the, about the board with dealing with the police stuff. Um, basically, um, it, it seemed like some of the commissioners talked as if um, some of the concerns us citizens have about the police being on the board, like like those concerns might be unfounded. But um, I have a valid reason to have concerns about that. It's because just a few months ago, the police had the police review board uh, review a case that turned out to not actually be a case, and I and they said it was for training purposes, but I don't think that's true. So I'm just here tonight to ask the commission: Do you all believe what the the police? have told us about that case. Like, do you believe they are being tr completely honest with us with their explanation of things? Because I don't believe that. And so going on my my disbelief in, in, in that case, I, I, I think my, my fears of the police be, do, being sketchy on this new board that's going to 
be looking at their accountability. I, I don't think those fears are unfounded. And also, I'd like to point out a few years ago when the police union ousted the then Chief Burns. Um, when when you have the chief when you have the police doing stuff that citizens find shady, I I think I don't think fears are unfounded if those police are going to be on the board that's going to be dealing with accountability. So I would just I'm just wondering like how the commissioners feel about that case, and I I hope with. This new elect, the election that's going to be happening this summer. I hope people start asking that. I hope we don't just focus on the future, but we ask about what's what's happened in the past. Thank you. Other public comment, general public comment. My name is Jennifer Adams. Uh, I live out at the support site across the street. Since the fence was erected, it's gotten worse out there. Uh, as Lori was crying, having a fit about the, fit about the fence, Mitch smiled at her as if he was pleased to see her sadness. He also stirs up trouble, then stands back and smiles. The other night, there was a man running from the police for running a tab at Johnny's bar and not paying. He ended up behind Lori's tent. When she came out to see who it was, he reared up to hit her. Then another camper, camper come running in and started to spar with him just to sidetrack him. I was clean on the other side of the street and I heard this. Um, I came running out and I notified the staff that there was something going on right there in front of the shower trailer which is not, less than 30 feet away. And they didn't know anything. We've also had issues with Shannon Myers who was chased out of there and trespassed for bringing fentanyl in. Nobody wants her there. But she's able to come out again because supposedly they've forgiven all the trespasses. Um, and then right after she left, four different people had to be Narcaned because she'd brought fentanyl in there again. Um, one of them had to be Narcaned three times. None of us really understand and hoping somebody can remind us on how this fence is supposed to be keeping them safe. Um, not to mention the fact that a very sweet girl that stays out there was raped and beaten there in the camp by somebody who's there in the camp not in his tent, in somebody else's. All I know is it's, if it doesn't stop, others are gonna get hurt, and this is getting scary. It's bad enough I don't feel safe out there, and that was always my spot. I always felt safe there. And the other thing is Ashley's tent is still sitting there, full of biohazards. Nobody's taking it down, nobody's taking it out. That's not safe for anyone. I don't know why the city's not doing their job at all, but they're not. Thank you. Other public comment? There's other public comment. Everything she just said is true. Every single word of it, people. Every single word of it. Because I've been out there, I've documented every single bit of it. I intended to start with this, but what she said is more important. Everything she said is true. Every single word of it. It has gotten nothing but worse since Craig said this. So that's an important thing to understand. We aren't 
kind of doing little pieces, which I think had been happening before. We're claiming space. We're, we're committing our leadership in that space, our funding in that space, and we're um, supporting the other pieces that um, institutional. I carried that girl into her tent from a wheelchair. She can't walk, you son of a bitch. You understand that? Courtney Shipley won't shed a fucking tear, will she? She can't walk, Courtney. That was done by a man who claimed to police that he had been hired to provide security for the tent that he was staying in by the person that was assigned the tent. How about it, Tony? How about it? No, don't eat, don't, no. This is too big. This is too big. You have people out there being harmed. This is not anger. This is pain. Remember Chief Lockhart telling me one time that he could see my pain? Well, now you're seeing it. Because everything she just said is true. Your city staff, all they do is heat up food and charge cell phones. I've got it on record, and don't play with me because I will burn you with video. I've got it on record that none of your staff out there has been given any CRT or de-escalation training. They've been giving little more than a schedule and a key to that site box. We've had enough. If you've claimed space with leadership, then you need to lead. But the bullshit that's going on out there right now is not cool. That woman right there had that camp under control. That camp was nothing like it is right now. People are scared. The staff is scared to go out there. And I don't blame them. You guys owe some, you owe some people. Other gen general public comment from the audience? If not, we'll go to Zoom. Stephen Watts. Stephen Watts. Just a moment, please. I think it's working now. I'm very pro-government. The public was subjected to sheer, utter nonsense during last week's meeting when we were told by the commission experts in cistern building were at play with respect to the police review board. These same so-called system building experts are the same experts who have subjected this town since before 2016 to a police-controlled, backslapping, good old boy, network-approved, whatever the police cabal says, non-review board. The public confronts elected resume-building opportunists and apologist sycophants of the system who purposefully attempt to disrupt the public's obligation to actively participate in the democratic process by turning to their so-called partners. These partners only seek to obfuscate and confuse the very real reality of the need for police oversight in our town by the public. Two, the public confronts self-appointed thought police who attempt to dictate how the public chooses to participate. These self-appointed types practice one microaggression after another against the public which employs them. 
These elected opportunists point to their partners and claim these partners are system builders. The public knows them to be system builders within and of the very system which has failed to address the needs of the unhoused and those behind the other proverbial eight balls in this town. The system builders are legendary for looking for ways not to do things which might disturb the way we've always done it as each protects their own fiefdom. These system builders are a mile wide and an inch deep. They're system, these system builders who promise everything and deliver nothing but what they perceive to be fancy words when it's all said and done. It is why Lawrence lags behind in so many metrics used to measure the data-driven decision-making. These resume-building opportunists seek to keep the other crabs from getting out of the bucket, and much like the police across America, try to use what they perceive to be fancy words which say nothing other than, go away, you're disrupting, we know best, and then they deliver nothing but words. A commissioner or two last week apologized for a bankrupt system which has shown itself for what it is in our town as one dinky social group agency fiefdom after another. Last week's suggestion of reimagination is meretricious, given the reality our town spends the bulk of its time and efforts on the matters of wealthy property owners and development. One simply needs to look at the homeless and housing issues in our town. A lot of words and a onesie-twosie approach. Thank you. Kevin Elliott. Hi, Commission. I'm Kevin Elliott. It's good to see you all. Um, I want to thank you again for all the advances you're you're making with the unhoused, the, the pallet village, the end of income discrimination, um, the, the expansion of the Lawrence Community Shelter. Uh, there's a lot of really good things going on, and sometimes that gets lost. Uh, I want to I wanted to say thank you for that very much. Um, I also know that the City Parks and Rec is working on a quad neighborhood cleanup. Um, and I'm very excited to be a part of that. Um, Jen Adams gave you some good information tonight. She gave you some real specific information and somebody's got to hear it. And I know you're tired of hearing it and I know you don't want to hear it anymore, but, um, that was some very specific direct information that somebody's got to hear and the people that manage things day to day aren't hearing it. So we need you to make sure somebody does hear it, please. Thank you. Any other general public comment on Zoom? No, Mayor. All right, we'll bring it back up to the commission. We will move on to item E, which is a consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and approved by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on these items. If discussion is desired, desired that item will be removed from the consent agenda and considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak on an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Are there any commissioners that would like to pull anything off the consent agenda? Um. I would. Um, E4A. Do you mind saying that again? I'm sorry. E4A. Mm -hmm. Any others? Anybody from the audience want to pull something off? On Zoom? Stephen Watts. E6D, please. D is in Delta. 
Any others? If not, we'll bring it back up here and I'll ask for a motion. Move for approval of the consent agenda with the exception of E4A and E6D. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Passes five to zero. We'll start out with E4A. Uh, yeah, it's uh, and I, the one that would, uh, had a question about it was the Planning Commission appointment of uh, Jim Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted a little bit more information about that because it seems like we discussed that a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. To go ahead and start the conversation. So, um, so uh, is there anything, I, I see exactly what was written about the reasoning why, and I know it's a little bit outside of our norms that it is two consecutive terms. Uh, is there any follow-up? Like any additional information on why you think it his appointment merits another term? Um, I, I think um, we just as we you said we discussed it, and I still stand by that. I, I think that his knowledge in the the uh, the planning commission as it is now it can it can warrant having that um, institutional knowledge stay on board. And in the middle of doing the code revisions, I think it'll be important for having somebody with his extensive experience to um, further navigate that when it comes to the planning commission. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Sometimes neither can't we. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, it's you know it's similar to what it was then, and I was just tr- trying to see if there was anything new. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that's all the question I had. Okay. Anything else on this item? I had a question. I wanted to know: Have there been any other applicants uh, willing to, uh, who have applied to be a part of the planning commission? There have been. I've talked to a few of them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Can you tell us how many additional applicants there were? Well, I've, I've talked to three, three different folks on it. So you've talked to three additional people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a total of four applicants currently. Well, that's who I've talked to. There could be more applicants. I can't remember. So, you, so you've spoken to three and there could be more applicants who have applied to be a part of the planning commission. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. I, I didn't hear your answer. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to go back and look, but that's who I've talked to right now. So you've talked to three, but there could be potential additional individuals who have applied to be a part of the planning commission. Again, I would have to look. Again. Okay. Any other questions? Any questions from the public? Yeah, I would. This is Chris Flowers. I was gonna pull this if none of the commissioners did. Um, also, um, I, w- I went back and looked at the meeting, and I thought Commissioner Sellers said uh, to bring it back in May. Like, why? Why are we doing it six weeks before? Uh, the end of May like it we could still have other applications you know and have you all like actively tried to find any like putting as 
maybe putting up a flyer at KU or Haskell, you know, at like the where I know KU has the engineer library, but um, also. Um, I don't, last time there was talk about um, honoring the mayor's decisions uh, when it comes to appointments, but um, I, I don't think we should just be honoring um, the mayor when something's being dumb, done out of the norm and this is being done out of the norm. So I think if something's being done out of the norm, the commission should be questioning it. And I think um, the mayor should be showing the other commissioners some of these other applications like, it's kind of vague. We know there's other applicants, but we don't know who they are. I mean, what if there is someone else that's qualified? And I mean, maybe we should be asking, why is the mayor trying so hard to push this this appointment through? I mean, I'm, I mean, I don't know if I'm just saying it's a question I would have. Um, and yeah, I guess I mean, I I'd say. Don't, don't just let something go through without questioning it. And I think it should be at least, if, if, if this appointment is being done, it should be done towards the end of May when we know there's no other applicants. Like, there's no other choice but to go out of norm. I mean, if there is another choice, I think we should be pursuing that. Thank you. Anybody, on, anybody else in the audience on Zoom? Stephen Watts. I, you know, I just, what's going on here? This equipment doesn't want to work correctly. Maybe it's me. <laughs> How disruptive to not appoint this individual that has been on the commission for, on the planning commission for exactly how long? And from what I read, as the nuts and bolts of putting things together. How disruptive to not want to move this guy forward. Thank you. Hey, bring it back to the commission. Any discussion? Well, uh, I thought some valid points were brought forward. Uh, I know I've seen Jim's work on the Planning Commission and he's very knowledgeable and uh, he is an asset, but given that there are three other people that have applied for that position as well and he's already served two terms, um, I'm not sure giving him another term would be great for getting a diverse opinion on the on the planning commission, um, giving other people a chance for that space. So um, right now, um, I would be against you know approving or reappointing Jim to that additional term. Okay. You know, discussion. You know, I've shared several times um, that I recognize that it is not, tr it is out of tradition for commissioners to be as involved in appointments as um, that is a duty that has been sought, carved out for a weak mayor. Um, and while I do respect that, and I hope that our mayor takes um, great time and, and dedication and effort into making recommendations that they would like for the, the other commissioners to, to co-sign and to approve um, and for it to be stated that we shouldn't question. I don't see it as, a I don't see it as questioning. Um, 
and I've spoken out several times about how traditionalism can oftentimes get us in trouble. And that traditionalism has often been used to keep individuals from being in spaces. And as we move into a new way of co-governance and how governing, what it looks like and who's at the table and who's doing the governing, um, there are some things that we need to take out of rotation and repetition and tradition is that, um, you know, there's a fraternity that has the motto, building a tradition, not resting upon one. And oftentimes I think we get a little bit too comfortable with tradition because um, that keeps us from being vulnerable and it keeps us from maybe sometimes being accountable. Um, so um, I, I will not be voting in favor of Mr. Carpenter's reappointment to the commission, not because I don't think um, he is capable, not that I don't think he's competent, but because there are individuals in this community for one reason or another who have not had the opportunity, nor have we as a city, as a city staff, as commissioners, perhaps maybe we haven't done our due diligence to encourage those individuals. And I'm constantly encouraging individuals to apply for boards and commissions. I actually had a conversation with you earlier this week, Mayor, in regards to some individuals um, that I had um, encourage them to apply to be a part of the Aviation Advisory Board. And so um, I'll spare everyone the details of our conversation, but I will go to say that there needs to be, I, 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 I'm of the mind that I'm kind of over hearing that because a person is qualified that they get to stay. There are a lot of qualified individuals in here, and I think to call it, say qualified is subjected to the person who is stating what that qualification is and that there are other individuals that should have that opportunity. And so um, I won't be supporting this appointment, but you know I do appreciate what Mr. Carpenter ha has um, contributed. And I look forward to him being a um, contributor to conversations and solution creations and other iterations in our community. Okay. I have nothing to add from the, the previous vote on this. I mean, I. I won't support his reappointment, um, but I certainly look forward to continuing to work with him on the code code development committee. Okay. Mayor, I will continue. I will vote to support you, and I, I just want what's unclear to the to the public, perhaps, is is the extent to which this is truly an ideological um, appointment. Um, there. Are, uh, uh, monetary forces at work that see this position as a position on planning commission in particular as one of the most influential and uh, while it may just seem like any other kind of appointment uh, to people who have never been on one of our 48 boards and commissions um, I think it is still important to remember that we have not changed the fact that our appointments are necessarily political. Um, some of us perhaps work harder than others to not make it part of an ideological squabble. Um, some of us maybe go out of our way to find voices that hadn't been heard instead of putting the same old voices in, but there are more than one side um, to that coin. Um, uh, I've, for example, been asked uh, when I was your mayor to put people on some of these boards who had been on these boards 40 years ago. 
um, and frankly, we're arguably directly responsible for some of the development mistakes that have been made that we continue to pay for today. So um, what is maybe, I think, unclear to the public is the extent to which um, people who ask hard questions and make hard points instead of rubber stamping everything is frankly absolutely part of this conversation. You just can't see it. And I appreciate all of the comments that Commissioner Sellers has made about making new space for people. I put, I took a lot of risks uh, putting some people on boards, giving them that space. Um, but I was also not um, naive to the position jockeying that does continue to happen in this town. Um, so again, uh, Mayor, uh, owing to the fact that I agree the knowledge and experience on this board for that particular commissioner is important, and I'm glad we'll uh, be able to continue to participate in the code uh, revision, uh, but I think um, keeping people on these boards who ask hard questions and have institutional knowledge, have experiential knowledge of the creation of our Plan 2040 and Transportation 2040 and now Transportation 2050 um, in um, creating uh, the space for those things to actually happen instead of just be things we write down um, is really important, particularly in the case of this particular commissioner. So for what it's worth, I will vote yes. Okay, thank you for your support on that. So do we need to take a vote, Sherry? Uh, yes, you would, someone would need to make a motion. Do we need to parse them out since there's two appointments? Yes. <clears throat> Mayor, I move that we uh, approve the appointment of Greg Gardner for a term expiring on 531-26 to the Aviation Advisory Board. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Passes five to zero. For the sake of the conversation, um, I move to reappoint Jim Carpenter to an additional term that expires 531-26, which is to the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. Yay. Second. Mm -hmm. I, need second. I need a second. Mm -hmm. All those in favor? It was, I'm, I'm sorry. It's a, there was a second. There was a second? There was a second. Was a second. Oh, okay. Sir, you said to reappoint him. Well, since no one else wanted to carry the wanted to carry the motion, <laughs> I carried the motion. That doesn't mean I'm going to vote for it. Vote. <laughs> I'm I'm carrying. I'm doing my parliamentary responsibility. I'm doing Uncle Henry some proud here. So we have a first and a second. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. yes. I motion. Okay. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All opposed? Nay. Uh, fails um, or pass fails two to three. Yeah. All right. On to the next item. E four E six D. Do you want me to talk? Yes. Okay, great. We were subjected to sheer utter nonsense during last week's meeting when we were told by the commission experts in system building were at play with respect to the police review board. These same so-called system building experts are the same experts who have subjected this town since before 2016 to a police controlled backslapping, good old boy, network approved, whatever the police cabal says, non-review board. 2016 saw the town in the December 13, 2016 meeting, 
Listen to then police administrator Tariq Khatib shuck and jive his way around a nothing police review board. Making certain and with the approval of the town commission, any board would be a public relations component for our town department. One public relations effort is to claim the town saves money by not having a police armory and having individual police people purchase their own deadly weapon toy of which one in five American households has had somebody shot up and play with this toy all they like. Beginning in 2011, the town began this absurd process of allowing town police to purchase by a town subsidy these toys, these guns, these weapon of death. How many of these killing machines have been purchased over this time span? Do we know? Can these police individuals buy more than one? Was the police person who shot and killed a motorist in the Hy-Vee parking lot sporting a town subsidized purchase from some similar program in another community. All of this talk about gun control and our town is right in there with the hand wringing and yet we concoct a program to individually arm police people. These are their own personal weapons. It is not controlled. We need an armory. I don't care if it costs money. We need to register all of these guns inside our town and know what the police are carrying. Again, how many of these guns have been purchased since 2011? Thank you. Any questions? Can we, I, I, I should have stated a point of order, but can we have Deputy Chief Heffley come up and speak to this memo? Excuse me. Evening, commissioners. What can I tell you? Uh, what would you like to know? Just a high-level overview of the Sure. Uh, so the police department began uh, uh, utilizing a patrol rifle program in the late 2000s um, as a supplement to uh, a pistol sidearm. A police patrol rifle is something that is accurate from a distance, allows officers detective sworn personnel to create space and distance uh, with a better accuracy um, than you would see from what we used to carry was a shotgun. The shotgun had essentially eight um, bullets, for lack of a better way to put it, for this discussion. Um, this, you have one projectile, you're able to be more accurate, create more distance, um, and it's a, um, a pretty standard function of uh, modern policing. Uh, the specific um, process of having officers purchase their own is, is twofold for us. One, um, there is a, a, an increase in care, maintenance, familiarity with the equipment when the person owns it themselves. Um, it's just kind of a fact. If you check something out, it's, it's a little less uh, cared for pretty much across the board with any equipment that I've seen in, in many different fields, not just policing. Uh, and the second is just, it, it's a considerable cost for the department to go out and purchase these for all employees. Um, currently, it would be north of $200,000 for us to outfit uh, department-owned equipment of this nature. 
Uh, and originally when this project started in the, like I said, the late 2000s, not every officer was carrying at that time. Since then, we've developed a patrol rifle program, which includes a pretty substantial training program, a qualification that you have to uh, meet in order to be allowed to carry that. Um, additionally, the department armorers are responsible for maintaining that equipment. When I say maintaining, I don't mean the daily cleaning and stuff, but making sure that everything's functional and meets a standard that the department lays out so that um, uh, equipment added to it, lights, things like that is all standardized. Anything else? Any questions for officer? Any questions? So when an officer parts from, if an officer is to part from the, from us, whether by retirement or whatnot, since this is done through payroll deduction, they take it with them? It, depending on where they're at in that process, we have had employees that have left prior to completing that, and, and in that case, the department would retain that equipment, um, or they could pay the city back for the full balance of that equipment. Okay. Is, and as, since there's a policy in place, there's training, if a person is dismissed, are they still afforded those opportunities to maintain that's equipment. probably i apologize go ahead okay go. i apologize for interrupting uh that's probably going to be a case-by-case -case basis depending on the kind of dismissal and where we are in that process if they own that equipment then um it's it's going to have to be a legal question of whether or not they're allowed to continue to own that equipment uh, this is not dissimilar from the patrol pistol that most police officers carry. When I began with the department, we were responsible for buying our own patrol pistol, mm -hmm. our um, bullet-resistant vest. That was all something that we had to purchase in day one as becoming a police officer. Uh, that has changed over time. Um, but, but yes, to, to answer your question directly, if they own it and they're not legally prevented from owning that and they separate employment, they would be allowed to retain that. Okay. Okay, any other questions? Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, we will open it up for public comment. Any public comment from the audience? Yeah, this is Chris Flowers. Um, I was just wondering, how do the cops feel? Like the ones that are buying, their, like would they rather buy it themselves or would they rather have the city uh, buy the guns and keep the guns? Um, also, I mean, I'm, maybe I don't fully understand how it all works, but um, if, if, if some of you are, as Democrats, are gonna be talking about gun control, um, do we want to be buying guns for, I mean, well, I guess we're not buying guns for people, but we're helping people buy guns for themselves, and it, it sounds like rifles. Um, I don't know. It, it's just like the question about what if someone does get dismissed from the force for being a bad police officer. Is this someone we want to have a rifle that we help them get? Um, also, um, when it comes to the cost, are we getting the cheapest we can for the employees? Um, like, 
it would suck if if there's a better deal out there, but the employees can't get that. They have to get the deal that we're we're doing this way. Um, so I was just wondering if if all avenues been explored when it comes to costs, because I don't know. Just it's just from an employee standpoint it seems I, I I would not want to work somewhere where they force you to buy your own equipment I, I'd rather that the the employer has the equipment since I mean it's for employment use so why shouldn't the employer be responsible for the equipment and and buying it thank you you know the public comment on this item from the audience if not on zoom no mayor I have public mm -hmm. comment Mr. Watts already provided public comment. Yeah, you, sir, you've already discussed this. So bring it back to the commission. Comment. Bring it back to the commission. I have a question. So if we do have an officer that does not want to purchase their rifle, do we have, what is the procedure for that? I apologize, Commissioner. I missed the first part of your question. It's okay. If we if we have an officer that comes on, is that is it part of the contract that they're responsible? If they if they go through, the, if someone goes through the process and becomes certified to become to have a patrol rifle, is it within that agreement that they have to purchase said rifle? They, they are not required to purchase that rifle. Okay. Um, I I believe through some people leaving um, and some, um, what am I trying to say, some department-owned equipment through things like that, mm -hmm. that if somebody could not afford to get one, uh, we could work, work with them until uh, time they could or come up with some kind of stopgap. I won't pretend to tell you that, that all the officers love to buy their own or hate to buy their own. We're not, you know, hive-minded in that. Uh, there's probably some variance, but there was strong support for this program when it started um, uh, over a decade ago. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had a lot of turnover since then, a lot of retirements and new faces. Um, so this is just a continuation of that process. I imagine it will change over time, just like uh, a lot of the other things have since since I started. So, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, any discussion? If not, ask for a motion. I move, uh, I would say that, I mean, it is a common practice in many yeah. cities. It's like I said, not always the most loved of processes, but a very common one. And um, so anyway, I authorize staff to proceed with a purchase order to position arms of Indiana for 87912 and for the city to recoup the initial cost through the payroll deduction process. Authorize staff to proceed with the purchase order of Lawman's for $28,038.22 for optic devices. These funds would also be recouped by the city through the payroll deduction. Second. I got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Passes five to zero. We will move on to our regular agenda item number one received presentation from the 2022 city employment engagement survey 
All right, good evening, um, commissioners. My name is Megan Dodge. I'm the Human Resources Director here at the City of Lawrence. And we're here just to go over the results from our employee engagement survey from late last year. This is the third year that the city has conducted a similar survey. Um, but last year, um, when we decided to partner with Wichita State for them to help us run the survey and to kind of be a third party administrator. So um, I'm going to hand um, the slides over to Dulcinea Rakestraw. She was our um, program and evaluation manager for this project. She's going to go over the um, results with you, and then I'll come back up and talk about some next steps. So she'll be on Zoom presenting the first set of slides. Good evening, commissioners, and thank you for this opportunity to present the results of our survey. I am going to. Share my slides. So um, as um, Megan mentioned, um, we began the survey um, late last year, um, completed a series of surveys and then also some focus groups early this year in order to get the perceptions of um, your employees. Um, some of our overall um, findings say that the city of Lawrence is obviously committed to providing the best possible work environment for its employees, um, that the city understands the importance of employee engagement as evidenced by the actions made to include employees and in decisions to improve benefits and compensation and to foster a team environment. And I personally got to experience that through the Engaged and Empowered Teams commitment team um, who helped with the survey um, along with Megan. And I really um, appreciate their guidance and their care to the work for themselves um, and for their fellow employees. Overall, and what we heard back from employees, they also understand their role as public servants and are committed to ensuring that Lawrence residents receive high quality services in whatever sector that may be in which they work. Um, as Megan mentioned, this is the third year of the survey. And so we asked some questions in order to get um, an employee engagement index. Um, that index um, has carried over for the past three years. And so we have some comparisons that I'll show you on the next slide. Um, the overall employee index was 3.74. Employees were asked to rank items on a scale of one to five. So the closer to five, the more engaged an employee is, the closer to one, the less engaged that they are. Um, in addition to those questions that have been asked the same way for the past three years, we also asked some additional questions in order to understand a little bit more um, about the employees and their perceptions. And these are some of the key findings from those questions. 61% um, um, of employees feel that the job um, is a positive part of their life. 42% um, indicate they understand how the city's strategic plan relates um, to their work. 72% understand how their work impacts the overall organizational goals and success. 72% indicate that they have a good working relationship with their supervisor. 48% believe that the organization has a good reputation generally. 52% report 
often feeling stressed about their jobs, and 58% um, feel that the city values inclusion in the workplace. This is the overall employee index by department. We did have a few departments um, where the individuals did not indicate their department at a high enough rate for us to report them out generally. Um, so we were looking for um, them to report at about 15% participation rate. Um, this year, um, while we had hoped by being a third party administrator, people would be um, feel a little bit safer and have um, a little bit more um, open in what they shared. We did find that while they may have shared their views and opinions that way, we did have a lower number of participants share their actual department. Um, and so we are able to not report these for each individual department. You'll see um, overall about um, Maybe a third of those index scores went up, about a third went down, and um, several stayed the same. Um, the overall employee index score did go down slightly, um, however, not nearly um, to the degree that we're seeing as national trends. Um, so Lawrence is maintaining a high employee index um, despite there being recent national trends for employee engagement to be declining specifically um, as we're coming out of the pandemic. In addition to those questions that were asked um, previously um, and the new questions that were asked, we also um, engaged them in the family-friendly workplace survey. This is a survey that's supported by the Kansas Department um, of Health and Environment and um, is open to all employers across the state as long as they um, have a minimum number of employees. Um, and then Employees are asked um, to rank items in two ways. They're asked the same list of items and asked how important those things are, and then they're asked how well their employer is doing at meeting those particular needs. Um, employees um, of the city marked 14 of the 19 options that they were provided as extremely important to them. Um, then they indicated um, if the city was meeting their needs regarding those. Um, two policy priorities were identified as a part of that. And I'll show you kind of how this ranking looks, but those two priorities are one, um, subsidized childcare costs, and then access to safe private non-bathroom areas for breastfeeding employees. So what research tells us is that if we have um, family-friendly policies, um, that employees are more engaged in work, um, that they're more productive, um, and that they're more likely to stay in that um, employment for a longer period of time. So this is what um, the results kind of look like. Um, the first question I have here is a flexible work schedule to allow time for family issues. You can see that employees overall ranked that as good. That means that the city is doing a good job in allowing a flexible workplace. Um, when asked how important it was to them, employees said that that was extremely important. And because those two align fairly well with it being good and extremely important, we don't have any recommendations around that item. The next is the ability to bring infants to work during the first six months of life. Um, employees ranked this poor. Um, it's probably because you don't have a policy that allows for this. Um, however, they also said this wasn't important to them at all. And so because um, these two also align in being poor and not important, we don't have a recommendation regarding this. So the next ones that we want to take a look at. 
um, the subsidized child care costs as part of the employee benefits package. Um, that isn't something that is currently offered and employees ranked that as poor, um, but also um, said that that was extremely important to them. And um, they were um, very grateful for many of the other policy changes that have been made um, regarding family leave and increased benefits, um, increased compensation as well. Um, and so these are certainly things just to consider, um, but that is one that we would make a recommendation to be considered because of the discrepancy between poor and extremely important. The next is access to a safe private non-bathroom area for breastfeeding employees. Again, it was ranked poor um, and employees found that this was extremely important. And then the third one doesn't have quite the discrepancy, but is worth noting um, that employer-sponsored events for the whole family, um, this was ranked poor, um, but was found to only be moderately important to employees. Um, when we did focus groups with employee, employees, we found that there were events that were happening um, and employees would just like to see more of them um, occurring in more ways um, to engage their families and engage kind of across departments. We then did some focus groups. So after the survey, we did some focus groups because we wanted to dig in a little bit deeper and find out a little bit more about the employees. Um, from the focus groups, we found that employees um, felt more connected and trustful of coworkers within their own departments than they did to coworkers outside of their departments that are also within the city. They didn't necessarily understand how the strategic plan relates to their work or maybe felt like it wasn't um, useful to them in their day-to-day -day work. Um, while they certainly felt like it was inspirational and they maybe agreed with the direction, um, they just weren't sure how to operationalize that directly in their work. Um, many employees were also worried um, that their feedback never made it beyond their supervisors um, to department heads or directors um, that might limit their ability to make larger scale impact or changes. Um, and employees also felt um, like interdepartmental communication was good, but citywide communication could also be improved. We'll make note that while we were doing the employee focus groups, there were a couple of major issues going on with some transitions with electronic systems um, regarding um, time tracking and those kinds of things um, that I think did play a role in these issues um, in particular, that they were feeling the stress of these changes and really had wished that in different ways their voices were heard. Um, additionally, in the focus groups, um, they were grateful for the new compensation plans and the family-friendly policies. Even employees who didn't feel like they would personally benefit for those were grateful that they were available for their coworkers. Many employees um, also have found that they have personal tactics to handle stress, um, but few were utilizing the employee assistance programs. Um, employees who said they were stressed at work many times said that that was because they were asked to do more with less. We did in particular hear from the police department and members of um, the Lawrence um, Douglas County Fire Medical who said that the changes to their employee assistance program were particularly helpful and they were grateful for those changes. Um, employees spoke very highly of the city leadership, of um, the city manager, of HR, um, and they just wanted more opportunity for FaceTime with them. Um, and most employees also felt that the city could do better at preparing for or implementing organization-wide changes. And I think that goes back to a little bit around um, 
the timing of the focus groups and some of those changes and how they would like to have their voices heard as major changes are made um, within the city. So overall, um, our recommendations are to continue to focus on engagement. It's really important um, when you have a survey like this or focus groups and you're asking employees for their feedback that you find a way to actually utilize it. Um, employees feel discouraged when their voices aren't heard. Um, and so finding a way to take this information and implement even pieces of it to let them know they were heard is really important. Finding ways to connect that strategic plan to their day-to-day -day work would also be helpful um, in encouraging them to see that bigger picture of where the city is headed. Um, also to improve the general reputation of the city. If you remember a few slides ago, I said 48% said that the um, city had a good reputation overall. Um, and so I think some of that has to do with employees who um, come face-to-face -face with the public who hear negative things, um, how that um, impacts their view of the city overall. Um, finding new ways to assist um, staff with stress or self-care. Um, looking at opportunities to assist with childcare costs. Providing that dedicated space for breastfeeding um, in all city spaces. Hosting more um, employer-sponsored events. Um, one that was mentioned frequently was a food truck event um, that everyone really seemed to enjoy and really garnered some great ideas about how to foster interdepartment connections, um, which is the next um, recommendation is to find ways to see the city overall um, as an employer. And people tend to know those people within different departments that they talk to regularly. Um, but if they don't have a reason um, to communicate with somebody in a different department, then they, those relationships just aren't there. Um, and then to continue to encourage feedback on major changes, to find ways um, that employees can continue to share that information um, and to hear, um, to know that their voices are heard um, as those changes are being made. Um, I'm sure, as you all know, your employees are a huge asset to you. And as we um, are in this time where um, workforce shortages are happening everywhere, it's um, incredibly important um, that you take this um, information and use it. Um, and it's really forward thinking um, of the city staff to be doing a survey like this and to be looking for ways to improve and to hear from their employees. So um, thank you for the opportunity, um, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Any questions? I have a couple questions. Um, in regards to the survey results, you noted that there was the, and let me see here, the unidentified departments. So in the survey, were employees not required to identify what department they were Part of? No, they, that was not a required question. And so many employees did not indicate which department that they worked at. Was there any rationale for why that wasn't a required question? We tried to dig into that in the focus groups. Um, part of it was that many individuals felt that they could potentially be singled out um, if they had indicated like the number of years that they worked, the department that they worked there, perhaps their race or their gender, that they might be able to be identified. Um, and so they chose not to um, give that information. Okay. And then on the... The in regards to the feedback in regards um, um how employees handle stress. 
were there any focus group discussion around what staff would like to see as far as supports? You know, EAP is kind of the the, the standard, the baseline for what employees offer, what employers offer employees to deal with any type of mental behavioral health concerns. But did you go into any deeper questions about what would staff like for their employer to offer or what that could look like as far as an incentive well, or supports? Some of that um, we did ask about and they um, indicated that maybe having easier access to um, EAP services and that's where um, both the police department and LDCFM indicated that they'd had some changes that made it easier for them to access and to have more ready access to those services through their contracts. Um, that came up a lot. Um, another was just the general culture of um, allowing that, right? That it's okay um, to have um, supervisors support that and just um, be generally okay with employees needing to seek help or needing to take a break. Um, I know that some employees even talked about creating little spaces um, within their offices um, where they can maybe have um, a little area to have some peace or calm if they needed to during a break, um, during a particularly stressful time. And so just continuing to advocate that as an overall culture of that it's okay to address your stress and to seek help when necessary. Okay. I have one more question, but I'll wait. I'll yield. Any other, any questions for anybody else? Go ahead, Commissioner. So as far as uh, cross-tab analysis, is were you able to dig into that where you maybe did some, you started to look at how these questions parsed out by department? I, I mean, I, I know you did some of like as it relates to department heads, supervisors, direct reports. Did you drill down we, that far? We did um, drill down and we found very little differences um, okay. between them. So um, overall, um, there was a slight difference. Um, employees who had been there, um, newer employees, zero to five years, um, were more engaged than those who'd been there um, six to 10 years, but there weren't any differences beyond that. Um, otherwise, there were not a whole lot of differences when we did the crosstab analysis. It was overall very similar um, across those things. Again, those demographic questions were not required, and so not everybody answered them either. So I would um, leave that as an asterisk as well, but for those who did answer the demographic questions, there were not many differences found. And one last question. I know um, you referenced Gallup a lot in the um, in the study, and I know that Gallup has their own employee engagement um, survey, their Q12. So is that, did you utilize any of that to build out these questions or just the- No, um, these questions um, were questions that had been um, brought to the city of Lawrence a couple of years ago, um, at least the baseline questions for that employee engagement index. Um, they are not part of the current Q12. Um, right. I'm not exactly sure where those, um, the history of those came from. Yeah. Is that it? Some more questions? 
Any other questions? No, if not, we'll, we'll um, it's a public comment item. I think, I, I think Megan's been has... Oh, she got more. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry about that, Megan. <laughs> thank you. Thank I'll you. Thank quick. you. <laughs> okay. I'm going to pull up some slides here. Okay, so good evening again. I'd just like to take a few min minutes to talk about now that we have this feedback, what we're going to do with it. So just to highlight that engaged empowered teams is one of the six commitment areas from the city's strategic plan. So while we have the outcome areas and those describe what we're trying to do, where we wanna go, the commitment areas are really about, well, how are we gonna do it? Um, what kind of organizational culture do we want? So zeroing in on engaged and empowered teams it's really about um, working toward a place where people throughout the organization are trusted, supported, and cared for as we build community. Um, so it goes on to further say that we invest in and cultivate service to community, individual growth, team development, respect, and trust. Our very best is achieved by a diverse, engaged, collaborative, and innovative work organizational culture. So really, when we're talking about engaged and empowered teams and what we're trying to measure, when we're looking at the survey feedback and the engagement index um, is how we become this type of organization for employees to build their career. So Dulcinea talked a little bit about how important it is to actually use the feedback that we've received. So now that we have three years of data, um, we're in a really good position. I'm also coming out of the pandemic to um, develop strategies and to take some action. So according, again, a couple of stats from Gallup, um, according to Gallup, only about 8% of employees um, nationwide strongly agreed that their organization will actually do something with the feedback. So I think our challenge is to not be part of that, eight, um, have employees in that 8%. Um, great, you know, the, the research by Gallup shows great benefits to actually doing something with results from employee surveys. Um, actually, it can lead to further disengagement if you don't do anything with that feedback. So um, we're going to look at action planning. Um, the first step is coming back to work groups, coming back to employee teams and discussing results um, within departments, within work groups, and then identifying what are some of the trends that mean something to our work groups and um, develop strategies or um, realign ongoing activities and strategies to actually improve our employee engagement index and work toward an engaged and empowered workforce. So um, that's really what we're gonna be focusing on moving forward. I'd like to just give a quick overview of some of the employee engagement activities that we have underway. There's a whole network of formal and informal ones um, here at the City of Lawrence. Um, we have something called the Employee Relations Council. That's been um, part of our, our organization since 1978 when the city commission at the time adopted a resolution um, putting that together. And, and really it's it was designed to kind of be a feedback mechanism for employees to be able to come together, express areas of concern, and for administration at the time to, to hear that feedback. So of course, we've changed a lot. The world has changed, our organization has changed. 
uh, drastically since then. We have um, more union representation now at the city. We're coming out of the pandemic. It's a much different workforce. So um, I think this is a good time for us to look at this and other things to kind of modernize and um, think about where do we want to go? So that's one that's, and we've gotten great feedback from this group over the decades, um, and they've been active um, over the years. Um, so we'll be engaging people who have been a part of that um, in our next steps. We also have something called um, LEAP, um, Awards and Committees. This is a, a, an employee recognition program. Uh, we recognize employees based on years of service, but there's also um, kind of a, a service component where we can use this committee to recognize employees that go above and beyond the call of duty to serve the city. We have various professional development and training opportunities that are offered um, citywide and then kind of on a department-specific basis based on, you know, what those jobs and requirements are within departments. Um, different departmental work groups and activities um, that are ongoing and underway, working within departments on areas like safety, um, you know, improving communications within departments. A lot of some departments have been really intently working on improving their communication amongst their employees. Um, and so, you know, and a couple of departments have been going under working on accreditation processes. That's been another really good mechanism for people at the department levels to come together and work together and have more engagement. Um, also, um, Dulcin, they had mentioned that we got good feedback on um, citywide uh, employee engagement events. We have, we've had a food truck event where employees can come together and socialize um, together, meet other employees, you know, have more of a sense of community as um, a workplace. So we've had success with those and we'll be looking at um, effective strategies in that area. And then around the strategic plan, we have various work groups that focus on the outcomes and the commitment areas. So I work, um, work, I work with the outcome champions on how to advance, engage, and empower teams within their areas. We also have a group that's made up of representatives from each department that's been really focused on engaged and empowered teams. Uh, they really were a big part of helping Wichita State with developing this um, past year survey. So I um, want to thank them and we'll continue to work with them. All right, so just a couple more slides here. Um, just kind of picking up on some lessons learned from this past year survey um, and kind of some uh, questions that Commissioner Sellers had around, you know, just the rate of employees that didn't choose to answer what department they work in. I think that's something we need to look at, how to improve that participation rate on employees feeling comfortable or choosing to select what department they work in. I think that's really important. The Employee Engagement Index is um, a KPI for our strategic plan, and it's a really important way that we can measure employee engagement. And so we're interested in being as specific as we can, as employees feel comfortable reporting. So um, as we move forward and continue to look at improving this survey design, we'll be considering issues like that. And also just always trying to increase participation one reason we wanted to work with Wichita State with a third party was, hey, this is a neutral party that's administering this, so we'll continue to look at ideas around that and improving participation and working with different partners throughout the organization to promote the survey and get higher participation rates. So now um, the next step is really, we have sent this um, report out to all employees. So they have at least have a copy of the report, but really it's time for the conversation to start around sharing the results and providing opportunities um, 
for employees to come together, look at them, discuss, and come up with strategies um, to improve our engagement index moving forward. I just wanted to highlight, um, looking at the recommendations that Wichita State put together, there are some things that are underway or that we can do rather quickly to address some of those recommendations. Managing stress and self-care has been a big um, area of focus for us at the city, uh, especially as you know, coming through the pandemic, you all saw and um, how the city tried to support employees and that was uh, across the nation as employees went through immense stress. So we're on the other side of that. We're still feeling the results of that and um, we're always trying in HR with engaged and empowered teams and across the city to find ways to encourage employees to get that care, to take care of yourselves, take care of your family. Um, we've changed some policies, but most recently, um, we are really trying to emphasize the EAP, the Employee Assistance Program, which does provide counseling sessions for free. Um, we provide um, mental health coverage through our health insurance plan at 100%, and so we try to promote that. We recently launched the Calm app. It's um, like a mental health app, so every employee and their dependents can get access to that Calm app to try to integrate that self-care um, into their day-to-day -day routines. We've been partnering with Burt Nash to provide um, mental health first aid and similar trainings to employees. So it's really about having those conversations, making it a part of our culture for employees to know that this is an important thing. There are various resources available. Um, and so those are some things that we've been emphasizing. We had an employee appreciation event um, last month and we, through that we were really emphasizing these resources. So that's, that's definitely gonna continue to be um, a big area of emphasis and we'll always be looking for new ways to promote those resources and normalize that self-care. We also do have breastfeeding facilities. That was one of the recommendations from the family-friendly um, survey results. I think the issue there is probably just communicating it out and making sure that we have, everyone's aware that there are facilities, here's a map of them, so that it's just, you know, that's part of our employee handbook is that we do have those um, available. So I think that's just a communication issue, most likely. So things like that. Um, so yeah, internal communication is definitely an area for us to improve. Um, I think we heard from the results that departments within themselves are effective um, at communicating um, within work groups, but that citywide communication is definitely something that we want to work on. We've started some citywide communication um, efforts, but we're going to be looking at um, ways to kind of overhaul that and improve that to make employees feel like they have an effective way to receive information about, you know, employee information, um, areas of emphasis for the city. So, and it, it really needs to be tailored based on how they like to get information. So we do rely heavily on email right now, but we need to look at that. So, and then we'll also look at ongoing feedback, maybe not waiting for the annual survey to get measurable um, data. So um, through our new system, um, Ceridian, it's our new um, HR information system, there's a way that we can get um, employee feedback within that. And so we're looking at that and I'm excited about that opportunity so that we can measure the employee engagement more frequently than annually. We'll continue our engaged and empowered teams work around the strategic plan, um, continue to look at ways to effectively measure um, employee engagement, look at the strategies that had previously been developed when the plan was first adopted, and make sure that they're aligned with where we're trying to go and what we've heard from employees. And then also going back to that slide I had with the blue boxes 
revamping our network of ongoing formal and informal employee engagement activities, aligning it, our, our structure with where we're trying to go and what we look like um, as a workforce now. So that concludes the next steps slides and I welcome any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Megan. Any questions? Uh, yeah, I had a quick one. That, like, uh, so I know, I know we've got a lot of room to improve, but uh, I was just curious, are there any champions for like, you know, the things that we do well that, you know, we can kind of build off, build off of and uh, maybe expand on? Um, just curious. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I do always tend to focus on, oh gosh, what do we need to do? There is a lot of room for improvement. Um, Dulcinea mentioned this, but if you do look at the employee engagement um, research that Gallup does nationally and internationally, it, we are with the trend of challenges in that area, but we are doing really well. I mean, um, there are areas where we did get positive feedback. Um, I think it's great that such a high percentage of employees see how their work contributes to goals of the organization. It's interesting that we had such a high um, response rate or in that, but then kind of lower in connecting employees' work with the strategic plan. So I think there's some work to do in that area. Um, I also was excited to see that many employees ha feel like they have a good relationship with their supervisor. That was exciting to see, um, and I think that that relationship is so critical to employees' day-to-day -day lives. So just a couple that I would highlight. Um, and, you know, we do hear from employees that, that they understand there are resources but I think it is, for mental health and self-care, but I think it is about making them more accessible um, in different ways, kind of based on the family that they're in and, and who they are as employees. So just some things I would highlight. Yeah, because I was um, just to follow up. I was thinking like maybe meshing like some of the some of our determinations that we're trying to accomplish, like you know, foster connection to other departments, and we're trying to improve inter internal communication. Like maybe at those events, kind of mm -hmm. <clears throat> using that as an opportunity to go ahead and get to know other folks, get to know exactly what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and yep. um, you know what they would like to see in the future. <clears throat> For sure. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Other questions, Megan? Megan, I have a couple of questions. I wanted to make sure I heard you correct. So we do have dedicated spaces for lactation that are not bathrooms, and you're saying it just hasn't been, we just haven't done a, the city staff has not done a good job of articulating where those are. Um, yes, we have, we have dedicated spaces that are not bathrooms, that's, that's required. I've only been here for a year, so I don't know what communication has taken place with city staff about where they are. I would imagine that if you are a lactating um, parent that you, in your workplace, you're made aware, but I don't know if we've done citywide communication for that um, recently, so I think that is an opportunity. Okay. Yeah. It's part of our employee handbook that we do offer those, so. Okay. Yeah. Because I was going to bring the law up, so I wanted to make sure. Like, mm, mm -hmm. it kind of scares me if no, if we, we have do. it, and folks we don't know. I do. like, yes, mm. yeah. I think it is just um, communicating it effectively now. Gotcha. Point, so. Okay. Um, and then this may be a little bit of a weedy question, but um, as far as supervisors and their contact with direct reports, I know usually staff meetings are those opportunities to do touch points and engagement. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to coaching. Is it the culture of our department supervisors to provide that coaching to their direct reports, or do we encourage 
to kind of piggyback on what Commissioner Littlejohn was alluding to, the idea of creating opportunities for cross-department to do maybe perhaps some coaching. I'm kind of doing a question slash discussion. Idea. I don't have oh, I love that. it. Yeah, yeah I, I would tap myself for that. But yeah. <laughs> so in regards to coaching and supervising, is that all kind of meshed into one as it relates to the relationship between the supervisor and a direct report? Yes. Um, I think traditionally it is between the supervisor and their direct reports. And we have appraisal processes and things like that in place to make sure that's happening. I, I think I understand what you're saying, the idea of have fostering that citywide um, connection and making spaces for people to have those connections and get that coaching even if it's not with their formal supervisor. Um, I think that's a great idea. We have some areas where that can take place. We have something called, um, we have this program that that is has been in place, I think, for a few years now, and it's called LEAD, and it's for aspiring leadership or people who want to become supervisors to come participate in a year-long program, learn about the city, make connections with people who work in other departments with leadership. So that's one space where people, if they want to step outside of that kind of, of just their job, their day-to-day -day job, and grow, um, we have things like that in place um, where employees can make those connections. Um, and we are always looking for ideas around that. Um, I've heard of different groups coming together. Um, employee resource groups is something that we're looking at um, as a way to spark those, those connections, so. Okay. And then last question, I was looking at the overall recommendations again and in your presentation and I noticed you didn't touch on the childcare piece. Yeah. Is there some opportunity? Where are you at with that? Or have, have you begun imagining, thinking about what that looks like, or moving discussions on that? So the first thing that I thought we could do with that is connecting employees with um, resources that exist. I'm not saying, like, just information. So I know that me, I have children, and when I was trying to find childcare for them, um, Child Care Aware was a great resource for me. And so I think it's helping employees understand what resources are out there would be our first step. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's kind of as far as I've gotten with that one. Okay. So, you know, I think their recommendation is to provide um, financial um, subsidies. I think that's something we could consider as part of the budget process, but knowing that we have a very limited budget, we'll have to take that into consideration. Um, also, you know, we have um, dependent care uh, flex savings accounts and um, employees can participate in that, but I think it's also, sharing with employees how it actually works and making sure it's kind of an accessible program is something else that we should focus on. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions? If not, we'll open it up for public comment. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. Any public, um, public comment on this item from the audience? If not, we'll go to Zoom. No, ma'am. All right, bring it back up to the commission for discussion. Any thoughts? Just briefly, obviously, um, thankful for that, that we're doing this the survey. And, and again, I thought there was a lot of you know, positives out of that survey and um, making it hit on one I was interested in, which is how 72% of our employees believe their work impacts the organization's goals and success, but only 42% um, link that to our strategic plan. Um, so that's probably an internal communication issue more than um, 
you know, I, I think that's important for us because, you know, obviously their work is what we do. Um, and so um, that along with the, the lactation, I think, again, shows some of that is communication and, and something we can work on. The other thing I, I thought that was brought out was important is we've gone through a lot of stress this last year between COVID and then the new HR program and then the new finance program. Um, that that I'll be interested to see in another year what our surveys hold, um, because those are a lot three big changes um, happening all at the same time. And then lastly, of course, you know we just started a couple new unions at the time this survey started. So to see how that pencils out in the long long run will be interesting as well. But in short, um, obviously. These things are important, and, and I appreciate Megan's response to um, to act on it and, and then make the changes to keep our employees. We all know how hard it is to keep employees now and to get employees. And I don't know what our vacancy rate is, but it's down from where it was, but it's still a high vacancy rate. So um, being sure we have um, you know these things in place are, are important. So thanks, Megan, for your work. And, Thanks for all the all the staff for participating in this survey. Okay. Other comments? Yeah, I'll just add briefly. Um, really appreciated the the presentation. I'm always geeked out about our our surveys when they come back, and just know I'll always ask about cross tabs and multivariate analysis. So <laughs> prepare yourself for it. Um, to uh, Commissioner Pinkledye's point, you know, I was looking at the two pieces in regards to. Um, how work impacts in the, in the relationship to the strategic plan, um, as well as looking at the idea of the good relationship with supervisors. I think all of those kind of converge together and speaks to the point I made about um, supervising and supervising. Coaching is something totally different. And oftentimes people can be good coaches, I mean, could be great supervisors, but they're not great coaches. That's something totally different. Um, and so um, I know that is something that we or at least the agency I worked for on the state level that we leaned into heavily. Um, you know, supervisors are very, can be technical. Um, coaching allows you to dig into some more adaptive things and it takes a special person to really dig into that. And I think that why I would hypothesize that that could be one argument as to why there may be a disconnect with city staff understanding how the strategic plan relates to their work. Because you have to have a good supervisor that can speak to that and coach someone on that. So just like we have um, outcome champions and we have commitment champions, we may need to have strategic plan advocates that can really speak and coach to that and help people understand how to see their their position in their work and how to operationalize the strategic plan within their work. So I think you uncovered something wonderfully that speaks to Gallup's work, because that's what Gallup's all about. Plus or minus if you want to make the investment in there, which is what they really want you to do, but <laughs> they have enough information out there where you can necessarily not reinvent the wheel, but you can kind of 
grab a little bit from what they're doing and make it your own. So I think that would be something that could be beneficial that if, we, if that was implemented, you may see some statistical change um, for next year. Um, in regards to the childcare question, um, you know, there's some opportunities out there to start that initial discussion. Um, I know Kansas Children's Service League that works very well with uh, Child Care Aware. They're both, uh, they're both resource and referral agencies. Um, don't ask me what the name of the tool is because I cannot remember right now. However, someone at Child Care Aware should know, but KCSL actually has an assessment tool for employers that they can use to assess where they are, where they are as an organization in regards to implementing whether it's child care subsidies, providing child care on site, what that looks like that can help in bringing that discussion. Because I know the first thing we went to is we talked about the money. Sometimes it may not be about the money. That's where that co-governance comes in, like you, you spoke to. Maybe it's connecting individuals to the resources that are already out there and building those partnerships um, that then staff will feel like, oh, well, we may not have it on site, but maybe I'm missing an opportunity to apply for a subsidy that might be available. Or maybe they don't realize they, quali they qualify for DCF subsidy and apply for that. Or that DCF also offers um, grandparent care. So there's a lot of resources out there. It speaks to the access piece and use. Most of individuals that they don't know where to access and know how to use the tools, then they're not gonna be successful. So maybe there's an opportunity to plug us into that. But yeah, overall, this was a great presentation. And I always, like I said, I get excited about these and I'm glad we had it tonight. All right, any other discussion? Uh, yeah, I'll try to be quick. Uh, I appreciate it as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it. Alluding to what uh, Commissioner Finkeldye said, I'll be interested to see what the trends are in the future. And also um, also to follow up on what Commissioner Sellers said, um, uh, in regards to the strategic plan and a little bit more of a closer relationship of uh, how that st the strate strategic plan works with the folks that work with us every day. Um, that would give us an opportunity on a short-term basis to actually see how we're progressing as well. Um, so um, on that level, I'm really curious and really excited to see you know, if we can go ahead and make those sort of um, quick deliverable change, as you mentioned before uh, earlier in the presentation. But um, yeah, I'm excited about this and, uh, you know, because, you know, you're always, you always want to know more information than um, kept always guessing. So um, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to go ahead and present this to us and I'm um, looking forward to the future. Anything else? No. Thank, yeah, I will. Just a yep. second. Um, yeah, thanks again. Fantastic to see. Um, and not surprising, I, 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 well, I was not surprised to see the, 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 the disconnect about the strategic plan. Um, but it, it's good now we can hopefully um, help you resources into making that connection for us or helping um, engagement, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, processes we could use to improve that um, because it's, it's not just in the employees it's also in the public <laughs> and uh, so uh, it will it will only strengthen our community's connection to that if, if, the, if the employees have an understanding but also a, a buy-in so really good to see thank you 
Thank you very much, Megan, staff, and, and for the employees who took the, the time to do the survey. Really appreciate their effort on that, and, their, and we need to hear this information. And I do agree that child care is going continues to be the forefront of, of a lot of the concerns that we're seeing. And this is not just for us, but it's community-wide with businesses, the need for better and um, child or more child care um, uh, options for employees. So thank you very much. All right, we're going to take a 10-minute break, and then we'll be back for our last item. Time. Okay, we're back. We are back. On to item number two, which is to consider approving a preliminary development plan, PDP 22-00224, for Fall Creek Villas, located on an unaddressed parcel submitted by Land Plan Engineering on behalf of Sojak Land Company, proper, uh, property owner of record. Who do we got? Hey, Sandy? Thank you very much. Nope. Kyle Cooley with Kyle. planning. Um, I guess before I get started, I just want to give a reminder about uh, disclosure of ex parte communications. Okay. Who would like to start? Um, I met with Chris Joseph and Gene Shepard. Um, I have a phone call with Ron Schneider and a um, phone call with um, Mike McGrew. And I, uh, with uh, Chris and Gene, um, talked about pretty much what we'll see in their proposal or in the, I think we'll see in the PowerPoint presentation. Um, Ron was a short conversation um, um, with no real specifics and the same with Mike was more of a process question um, about what we're going, how we're going to discuss tonight, so. Okay. I uh, met with Dale Wheeler. Um, I think that was it. Uh, are we doing overall or just since the last time we discussed it? Well, whoever just, yeah. Oh, yeah. Overall, I think I talked to the first time around. I think I talked to land plan um, about it. And then I think that was it. So, okay. I got it. So for, for me, I talked to Morgan Hanning and Margaret Rose. I met with them and discussed um, the project itself. And then they presented to me an engineer's um, letter that they had received that they had um, received. And then also um, just their concerns, discussed their concerns pretty, pretty deeply. And then I talked to Mike McGrew. And he um, basically just wanted to make sure I'd seen the new data that was was um, put out there. Um, and if I had any questions on that, to give him a call on that. And last, I talked to Ron Snyder very briefly. He indicated that he's representing um, one of the homeowners in that area and just um, wanted to let me know that he was going to be coming tonight to speak and had concerns about the project. Um, uh, as I reported last time, I'd spoken to uh, Mike McGrew. Uh, this since then, I have only spoken with uh, neighbors Margaret Rose and Stephen. I'm sorry, I forget his last name, but he's thank you, Thompson. He's in the correspondence. Um, they expressed all the same concerns that we have here in our correspondence. I don't think I've seen anything that is dissimilar from what we discussed. Um, based on on the initial conversation, I spoke with Mike McGrew. 
Since then, I have spoken with Cindy and David Swanson and Chris Joseph in regards to the concerns uh, on the staff response uh, from Kyle Kobe and just some overall concerns uh, with the project and information from the uh, engineer report. And that's, that's it. I should add, I did talk to Kyle Kobe too. I forgot about that this afternoon. I asked him about the streams, um, the stream study that was referenced in the in the staff report, and that was pretty much it. And I did have email correspondence with Margaret Rose, um, but it was the same thing that we all received. So. Okay, got it. All right, we will go on to the presentation. So uh, thank you, Mayor. Once again, Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, I'm going to provide a, a summary of this as this item is returning to you after having been deferred on March 14th. Um, as that item was being discussed, several questions related to stormwater management were raised. The city commission, the city commission voted five to zero to defer the item at that time till this meeting to provide time for stormwater engineering review information to be provided. Matt Bond, the stormwater engineer for the city at the time, has since retired, uh, but Kyle Gontwurz with Municipal Services and Operations staff is here to help answer questions along those lines. Um, several supplemental items have been added to the agenda since this was heard on March 14th. The applicant has provided several additional documents that supplement the stormwater information. Uh, planning staff received a request for clarification regarding information presented on the staff report. Uh, staff's email response and a memo summarizing that response are included in the agenda packet as well. And then, um, of course, the public comments submitted for inclusion in the agenda packet have been included. Um, again, that just that concludes my summary. I'm going to throw it over to Kyle Gonterwitz um, to kind of cover things from his angle if he has any opening comments. Um, but I'll remain available to answer any questions along the way as well. I don't I'm Kyle Gunnerwitz. I'm with the uh, MSO uh, CMA group. I'm a project engineer and I don't have any opening comments. I'll just take your questions if you have any. Okay. Is that it for staff presentation? We'll open it up to the land plan. Do you have anything you want to say? Phil Struble with Land Plan Engineering. I have no prepared comments. I'd just like to reiterate several things just as we go into this deliberation tonight. First of all, the property has been zoned for residential development since uh, 1992, I believe we determined last go around. The second thing is, is that we provided the uh, stormwater drainage study, uh, we provided additional information on the stormwater drainage study as requested by the staff. That drainage study uh, reinforces the fact that, that this development plays no role whatsoever in the stormwater issues that the adjacent property owners are bringing up. If you look at those cross sections that we provided in that section, you will see no change in the flood elevation on any of those cross sections as it goes through here. And I think technically it is 0.2% increase in flow. I mean, it has to be some nominal factor because there is, there is some, but that is, that is negligible in the scheme of things. <clears throat> so the, 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 the erosion, the stormwater issues that are indicated 
um, <clears throat> by the neighbors, and, and I'm not making light of any of them, are pre-existing conditions and their, their issues that arise simply because of their location in the overall drainage basin, but we play no role in that. <clears throat> uh, secondly, uh, there are three locations in the stream where we will be um, installing riprap uh, as protective measures. Uh, those locations are uh, dictated uh, pretty much through the design procedures of the flows and the impact we have on that stream. Those are improvements to the stream, not, not uh, uh, degradations to the stream. Uh, those improve the flow characteristics of the stream. Now, there might be other locations throughout this section that the city might choose to uh, provide uh, repairs and other remedial ac actions. But again, those are not our issues, and those don't have anything to do with, with our stormwater. Um, <clears throat> we uh, look forward to any questions that you might have uh, as we go through this discussion, and, and with that, I'll stand for any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? Um, yeah, I'll start us off a little bit. Um, I think uh, one of the questions, uh, one of the concerns was uh, during building, uh, would there be any sort of mitigation or any um, effort to, you know, um, halt any sort of, you know, further erosion of the slope? Because I know Absolutely. you guys, you guys will have to move dirt. Yeah. So we'll have to uh, make an application to the Division of Water Resources for a notice of intent, which is our, our notice with the state that we will be disturbing soil. We have to provide in that notice um, uh, the best management practices that we plan to implement during our construction that is going to prohibit additional erosion and prohibit further um, sediment from leaving our development and going into the streams. You all have seen the black silt fences. You know, there will be multiple of those that we will be putting in throughout this project. And that's a requirement. We have to submit that application to the state and they have to approve that. And I believe city staff also reviews that and comments on that before we can proceed and do that. So yes, there will be multiple uh, efforts on our behalf to prevent erosion during construction and after construction, clearly, and prevent any sediment from washing from our site into that creek. Okay, other questions? I had questions for staff, but I wasn't sure when we were Sure, yeah, we can, we can do that now. Do that now? Okay, thank you. Um, there's two Kyles, I guess that's a... That's a tough one, yeah. <laughs> And Kyle, um, engineer Kyle, how about that? <laughs> um, you know, I guess obviously one of the reasons we deferred this is to get, um, you know, because math was not available last time. Um, obviously, we we look to our staff to review what uh, developers submit and and to comment on those. And I guess, um, you know, we heard a couple statements and i guess one i'd ask generally what your review of what's been submitted and two some of those statements about the pre you know the pre-existing conditions um you know the, the the putting the riprap in the stream bed and then maybe the comment would the city be considering any of their own work on that stream bed as part of this process um 
I think, you know, some of the talk about, uh, and you've probably seen some of the photos uh, showing some of the stream, uh, stream bank erosion. Um, I, I think that that would be of some concern on either side of the bank. So I think there could be some um, opportunity there to uh, stabilize the, some of the stream banks where it's uh, being eroded, but I don't, I don't think that's part of the uh, the discussion yet. I, I think really this is a preliminary approval, uh, preliminary plan, and typically uh, or a preliminary development plan. And once uh, once approved or not, uh, once approved, um, if approved, it would go to then engineering and the public improvement plans. And then we would really uh, take a closer look typically at at the engineering and, and the models and uh, and and how this development would would be engineered. Any other questions? So you are you, you're saying that there would be additional work during the public improvement process? Yes. Yes. I, I think what land plan provided uh in in response to the first city commission meeting was was some extra uh analysis and uh and, and it, I, I see it as a as a baseline uh for for information um and then as they develop their their plans and uh how they'll put in the sewers and uh change the the stream banks on the development side um i, I think then we'll be able to take a better look at how uh, uh, what impacts will uh will the stream have to the, the neighbors and the development and for I think I know the answer to this, but maybe for my benefit, benefit, but certainly for the benefit of folks in the room, I mean, what, what happens between the preliminary development plan and the final development plan if you slash the city has concerns about, um, you know, the request to move a certain part of the, straighten out a certain part of the stream bed or something like that? Um, and you disagree with that, is is that something that can be addressed at that point, or um, how is that discussed? Oh, well, that's usually handled in the plan review process. Um, and in that in that process, they'll submit plans, we'll review them, make our comments. Uh, sometimes we'll have meetings in person with the developers with and with land plan and uh, and go through several reviews and then uh, and then sometimes um, we we get to a final plan, and uh, then it's up to the, the developers to decide if they want to move if they can move forward with that plan as as we've approved it. Okay. Thank you. Other questions? I have a question, Kyle. Um, the idea that they're wanting to move the stream. How comfortable are you with that? Um, like I like I said, I think there is some erosion on on some parts of this bank uh, that that could uh, you know with with future floods, um, you know you have streams like this change their course over time. That's a natural process. Um, trees fall down and and go into the bank. Um, so I, I mean I'm pretty comfortable with the floodplain modeling aspect of it. Um, and I, I think that uh, it's not uncommon 
in situations with streams like this that do have a, a lot of slope and velocity and, and scour uh, to uh, do some bank hardening and some stream bank stabilization to protect some of the properties that exist where that erosion is currently occurring. So would that be something that the city's responsible for? It has been, and it can be. Um, it has been in, in the past and it, it has been uh, done in CIP projects in other cities. Okay. And Kyle, just to clarify, you're talking on both sides of the bank, right? Both the developer side um, and the... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm referring to a lot of the photos I think that you guys have seen okay. were uh, erosion on the sides of the bank where houses already exist. Okay. Um, so that that's, and that's kind of what I'm referring to. Okay. So um, this is Andy Hens, engineering program manager. Um, I would just add in that um, we do, as part of the public improvement plans, we do require erosion control plans, um, grading plans, um, and, and so we'd be looking at at some of the erosion control measures that were discussed before um, as part of that. And, and Kyle has really reviewed the, the modeling um, uh, that that was requested last time. And so, um, you know, he he even suggested some some changes to the model and, and things like that based on his understanding of of modeling. So. There's a, a comfort level there, I believe. Andy, when you said he, did you say he had looked at the model or he had not? Had he has looked hey. at that? Okay, that's so. Yes. yes, that's correct. Okay. If if staff does look at these things, was this particular erosion, this particular creek, in its current circumstance? Um, on a list of projects that staff has had already looked at? It, no, if it wasn't for this development, I don't think we'd have looked at it. There, there may have been some phone calls in the past, um, but I, I think I'm probably more aware of some situations along the stream than I was before this proposed development. A question for Lando, Kyle. Um, <laughs> The um, the process after this, and I know you have other action required in the in the staff report, including final plat, administrative review, public improvement plans, final development plans. Um, what if any part of that would the public be involved in? Any of that appealable to the city commission or um, reviewable? Yes, so Kyle Kobe with planning. I think the answer in general is yes, given that there are multiple different plans that are required, uh, those processes would play out a little bit differently. There's typically a notice component. I know that dedication of easements and things of that nature at minimum would need to come back through city commission for acceptance of that. Um, so that that's an example of something that would be on a uh, public agenda. Um, those are typically placed on consent agenda, but it would still be um, sort of viewable by the public and would be able to be commented on. Um, as far as I don't believe the public improvement plan process generally has a, um, a public engagement component to it, um, but there, is, there are some of those components with the, the other actions that would need to take place after this. Thank you. 
So I have this question is for Kyle, um, engineer Kyle. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's not very nice. <laughs> I apologize. Um, I started it. Don't I know. Yeah. <laughs> the moving that stream, I'm going to get back to that a little bit. Um, given the the flows that we've seen through there um, based on information submitted by some of the neighbors. Um, when we move that stream, are you comfortable that there's enough buffer zone there to to mitigate any flood, any further uh, encroachment from high flood flood times on these neighbors? Because the ones I've seen have gotten really close to the homes. Um, you know, most of this uh, talk about moving the stream is to accommodate the installation of the sanitary sewer on the development side. Um, and, and most of what I've looked at in the model is the existing condition. Um, and so uh, I can't really speak to like what the regrading uh, will impact will have uh, where that stream is being realigned. Um, but that is something that we would look at closely and, and carefully with the public improvement project. So would you say that, right, you, you couldn't say right now that you would be comfortable with um, having that stream moved if, since you haven't really looked at it closely after with the idea that the stream would be moved? I'm comfortable with the idea of it. Um, yeah, and, and I think that they've, they're, you know, Landpoint has stated that they're attempting to make the minimum amount of changes to, to keep the stream natural that they can make with, with I think, the perception that, that that's the, a good thing to do is to, to leave the channel um, as much intact as, as, they, as they can. So you don't see there would be any further impact to those homes when that stream is changed? Um, given what we've seen on some of the rainfalls lately, you don't think there'll be any further encroachment? Um, I, I don't think that we would uh, allow there uh, to be, um, you know, any any floodplain moved at, to where it's going to encroach and, and come on the property. Um, I think perhaps there may be some properties out there now um, that that may be impacted by a 100-year flood, and uh, it, it's possible that some of the changes that could be made uh, might actually help that situation. Um, so so I, th I think it could go either way, but I, I think with the, the baseline flood uh, boundary that they have, Done for the hundred year on this, uh, which, which currently isn't in a FEMA hundred year floodplain. The the FEMA study doesn't go this far upstream. Um, that I mean that yeah, changes changes could be made uh, for the better or worse, and that our goal would be to make them for the better. Okay, thank you. That's all I have right now, brother. Um, Kyle, Kobe. Um, do you have any comments you want to make about the clarification memo we have about the um, density calculation and the the change uh, that staff is referring to? Um, nothing really to add from what's in uh, the agenda packet. Um, I guess just in terms of the density calculation, um, I I can briefly summarize that. Um, the density calculation that is on the plan and that's in the staff report um, has the 3.34 dwelling units per acre number. Um, when we went back and looked at it again, um, it appears that that did not include factoring out the right of way. So the new calculation would be 4.04 dwelling units per acre. Um, aside from that, I, 
I think everything else is more or less summarized in, in the memo. I can expand on any other information you might need, though. Any other questions? I've got one more for Kyle. Um, on the model that was used, the modeling that was used, you, you, said, you said you had a chance to look at that. Do you know if that took into account the removal of the existing and some of the existing trees in order to put those houses up? Did that take into account that drainage that would be coming off of that? Um, well, no, I, I, like I said, I mostly looked at the existing situation model um, and, uh, and, and that the, the banks would have a different Manning's number than the, uh, than the channel. And so that those Manning's numbers would change with the removal of trees and kind of just even even just cleaning out the the uh, bank of the creek, the banks of the creek and the channel. Um, so so even just that could make a difference. Um, but uh, that that is something we would look at. Uh, you know, if we get a good baseline model of what is existing now, and uh, and then another model of what is proposed. Uh, once all the proposed changes are settled in, and uh, and then we could assess the the impacts uh, to to neighboring properties. Thank you. Other questions? Not. Well, did you have some commissioner sellers? Oh wait, wait. Okay, so we're going to open it up to public comment at this time. Hi, I'm Lisa Weeks. I live at 208 Arizona Street, and I am kicking off a group presentation um, for the neighbors impacted by this Deerfield Creek development. Um, so I'm starting off on slide one, please. So we do have some concerns about uh, the proposed development. Um, moving Deerfield Creek um, towards existing homes puts those homes at risk. And the risk to those homes um, from erosion and flooding has not been fully analyzed and mitigated. The calculated density is artificially low as it includes land that by code should not be included in the calculation. The base district by code should be used to compare intensity, allowed density and type of structure, in determining if the commission can grant the side yard setback. So to begin, I'll highlight some pertinent excerpts from the water resource engineer's report that we submitted um, that demonstrate a lack of that risk mitigation. The developer will need to obtain a permit from the Corps that authorizes the filling of that stream under Section 404 of the Clean Water Act. There was no indication that a stream stability study had been performed. There is no stormwater report to back the conclusion that there will be no negative impacts downstream. And a two-dimensional hydraulic model used for the stream stability assessment should be used to evaluate the increased erosion and scour potential from the proposed grading. Continuing, simply placing riprap in the shortened section of the stream may not have the desired effect on erosion and scour protection. The stormwater flows through this area appear to have significant energy and velocity associated with them. Increases to these flows should be evaluated for erosion and flooding potential. 
And finally, the straightening of the stream behind lots 6, 7, 9, and 10 of the proposed development would indicate that the lots will be filled. This fill will constrict the flow that will increase the energy and velocity of the flow, which will increase the erosion potential to not only the fill slopes for the proposed development, but the banks on the existing properties along Arizona Street and Arizona Place. Thank you. Well, I'm dealing with city ordinances, and I don't know where they are in your stack of papers. Let's see here. Oh, they're on the back. <laughs> All right. Sorry. <laughs> there. I hope you all found it. I'm sorry. Uh, Mayor Larson and commissioners, I'm Jean Shepard, and I'm pretty low tech, so I've got help here. <laughs> I'm going to address the density issue first. Uh, the uh, code at 21007 says that major drainage courses and other areas not retained for the exclusive use and benefit of the residents of the planned residential development are to be subtracted from the gross acreage to determine net acreage. And this is part of the density calculation. In this plan, neither the Evergy easement nor the Deerfield Creek has been subtracted. The Evergy easement an easement is their property. They have a property interest in that. It's not retained for the exclusive use and benefit of the residents. Not only can no road be built under it, but Evergy requires that any proposed use of that area of the land be reviewed by them, and if it's approved, there's a contract entered into. So it's certainly not the exclusive use and benefit of the new residents. It, it should not be included. Secondly, staff indicates that the 1966 code does not have a definition of major drainage course. In fact, the city itself does have a definition, and it's found in the stormwater management criteria definitions set out in 1.4. Uh, and that reads that this major drainage course is a natural or improved drainage way having a peak discharge equal to or greater than 70 cubic feet per second during a 10-year return period storm event. The developer's own submission shows that this creek, after the development, will be at a 330 cubic feet per second volume. Um, and right now, it's in the 320s. This meets the city's own definition of major drainage course. So both the easement and the creek should be subtracted from the gross acreage to come up with the net acreage figure to use for the density calculations. Then, briefly, the Land Development Code at 27014F talks about um, your ability to reduce the setback from 10% or 10 feet to 5 feet, and you do have that ability, but only if the surrounding zone of the development is of a higher intensity than the proposed development. This development is multifamily, so it's somewhere on that multifamily chart. 
It's surrounded by single family um, RS10 and RS7. Time. Thank you. Thank you. And Bailey. I'm just gonna follow up on what Jean was talking about. Um, the proposed creek changes require a permit from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers acting under the auspices of the EPA. We request at the same time an environmental impact survey of the creek and surrounding woodlands be completed. The area is an important wildlife corridor and we will ask that this proposal's environmental impact be reviewed. Uh, also noted, land plan said that the state permit, that there'd be a state permit, but the state said that there should be a U.S. Army Corps permit. So a few questions there. Chris Joseph, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the modeling that we just saw that was submitted. I guess we got it Thursday, late Thursday. I saw it first Saturday. So our engineer really didn't have a lot of time to give any impact input, but I'm looking at slide or page, <laughs> page five. Um, so I noticed in the land plan submission, it says that the proposed model assumes that the realigned creek will have the same effective cross sections. Now think about that for a second. They're taking it and they're moving it over closer to the new properties and they're assuming that the creek's going to be the same, that it's going to have the same form. That does not make sense. That assumption is not valid. There's going to be an increase in velocity and slope, as our engineer pointed out. There's going to be removal of all the trees, that riparian buffer that will change things. And there's going to be a bunch of infill for duplexes, which our engineer noted, that will increase the speed and the velocity. The shape of the creek will not be the same. Um, on our very low-tech slide six, I'm going to take a moment for you to look at this. Uh, this is the 100-year flood plan model that land plan put in there. If you look at how wide that water is going and where it is going, look in the duplexes. It's pushing way up into those duplexes. Where is that water going to go? They're going to put infill and push that water the other direction. Common sense says it's got to go somewhere, right? It can't go where those duplexes are. Uh, so let's assume you have a 100-year flood. That water is being pushed towards the existing neighborhood. I mean, that's a problem. Notice marker 885, which you flip the page to model seven. That's behind lot five. And I'm going quickly because we don't have a lot of time. You'll see that that's where they're moving the stream. If you turn the page again, you have all seen on page eight, the video. This is from lot five. The water's right up there on his house, okay? Now let's take a look at the modeling they submitted and wonder out loud if this is valid. Uh, slide number nine and 10 are their modeling. Um, this isn't in color, but there's a little line that shows where the red dot is, which is like up by the house. Uh, notice how the 100-year flood under the, the on the assumptions they used, under the modeling they used, shows the 100-year flood is not even close to that red dot. It's still below it. Look at slide 10, the 10-year flood, it's way below that red dot. It's not even close to it at all. Well, it turns out that video was taken on April 28, 2021, and the numbers submitted in here, it's a five-year flood. By the city's numbers and the NOAA numbers, that video is a five-year flood. Just use your common sense. If that is a five-year flood, 
And their modeling showing that it's not anywhere close to that red line on a 10-year and 100-yard flood. Are the numbers for rainfall, are their modeling right? I have serious concerns about their numbering. Thank you. Good evening, I'm Stephen Johnson. I'm going to carry on from where Chris left off on slide 13. Um, uh, this is um, Transect 640, um, a bit further around. This is um, uh, adjacent to um, Lot 8. Uh, the hatching uh, shows uh, the proposed riprap, um, which coincides with the movement of the creek bed southeast towards Lot 8. This not only moves the course closer to the house, but the straightened course, and it's very difficult to see on here, I apologize, um, Will, uh, will likely increase the momentum of the water, which is hitting a 90-degree right turn just downstream. If you move on to slide 14, uh, with, 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 with obviously the potential to, uh, to increase erosion at that point. If you move on to slide 14, uh, this is a, uh, the watershed cross-section at, um, at, at, at that point. Uh, unlike the previous ones, this actually has the horizontal and vertical axes on the same scale. Um, and also unlike these, this is looking upstream. So we have on the right, the proposed um, duplex, and on the left, the existing home. Uh, note the, uh, the shallow and the black boxes show the approximate horizontal positions of the two buildings um, in question. Um, note the shallow slope on the left towards the house. This very mild slope means that a change of one depth unit in the, in the, in the creek will lead to about a 1.3 horizontal units um, movement of water um, towards the house. Um, so to, to, to exaggerate maybe a little, if the water level were a, a foot higher, it would be moving a foot um, 16 inches closer towards the house. Uh, the developers have pointed out that the rapid addition of water from the new development means it will clear the area and be downstream before the water from, the, from upstream arrives. Uh, that's true, but I would ask, how long does that uh, flow take to peak? Uh, what about prolonged rain um, events such that water from the development and from further upstream are reaching the creek concurrently? No, no, no pun intended. Um, another question um, is how old are the data used for the rainfall predictions? The climate has changed measurably since the site was zoned, and data from even a decade ago are probably unreliable. I looked up atmospheric carbon dioxide levels um, from a few key dates. In 1966, the year the code was written, it was 321 parts per million. In 95, I believe, which is when the, the, the site was zoned, 362 parts per million. And last year, 418 parts per million. That's a 97 parts per million change in 56 years. 30% change in that 56 years. Um, finally, as far as I can see, the stormwater model is a volumetric model. It only considers the volume of water passing a point per unit time. Um, in this case, volumetric flow is useful to know, but doesn't tell the whole story. And even then, can we rely on the model assumptions when observation has shown that it does not accurately reflect the situation on the ground, or should I say under the water? Thank, Thank you. you. Good evening, I'm Cindy Swanson. I live at 200 Arizona Street. Um, continuing with page number 15, we see two examples from 217 Arizona Place. Obviously, when the water is high, it erodes the soil on the developed side of the bank pretty severely. 27 years ago, there were boulders in place up and down the creek to help prevent erosion, but by now, most of them have simply fallen to the bottom of the creek. Also here, the span across the creek has expanded a whopping 14 feet from 12 to 26 feet over those years. This is happening all along the creek. 
Page 16 has pictures from the property at 3600 West Timber Court at the west end of the PDP. The pictures are self-explanatory, showing that they already have substantial flooding on their property before any denuding of the land on the other side of the creek. The pink marking on the tree shows how high and far the water has encroached onto their property. Page 17 is our own property, mostly because it's at the curve in the creek, the boulder on the left finally fell down the slope last year as the soil has been continually eaten away after every rain. That took about 10 years to happen. It is just a bit past this point that the creek makes a sharp turn to the north-northeast and makes its way to the pipe that takes it under Castle. Now for page 18, we come to a potential major problem area. These pictures were taken in the western part of the proposed development looking north toward Fall Creek Farms. The drainage pipe comes out just past the new cul-de-sac at the end of Hidden Lane, circled on the left side of the drawing. The street drain itself is at the end of the cul-de-sac. Because there are no storm drains on the surrounding streets, this drain handles runoff of all of Hidden Lane, a part of Fall Creek Drive, and the driveway runoff from 100 and 126 Fall Creek Drive. Before the new cul-de-sac went in, this stormwater used to go into a grassy and wooded area about 100 feet from where that hill starts because there were no street drains. The damage done to the grass and sediment barrier, as shown in these photos, was after getting just shy of one inch of rain. As you can see on the PDP, the proposed underground drain will hook up with this existing one, run under and add water from their proposed cul-de-sac, and take a couple of sharp turns. The circle on the right of the drawing is where it empties into Deerfield Creek. They show that they will install riprap on the PDP bank, but the force of that water, after only one inch, will cause great erosion and most likely flooding at that point, both up and downstream. I don't believe that Fall Creek Farm's stormwater runoff data was included in any calculations done by the developer, but that omission could have devastating consequences on erosion and flooding of both the existing and proposed neighborhoods. Thank you. Hello, Dale Wheeler, 208 Arizona Street. To tie these points back to the nine review and decision criteria, the development plan does not meet whether potential adverse impacts have been mitigated to the maximum practical extent. Moving Deerfield Creek creates too great a risk uh, to existing homes. The risks have, not been, risks have not been mitigated. Existing homes bear the full dangers of these risks. The developers do not have this risk. The proposed home, new homes and the HOA would also be left to deal with erosion problems, and again, the developers would not have that risk. Infill development is good, but only where it does not pose a risk to existing homes. We also question aspects of the preliminary development plan's consistency with Plan 2040, Criterion 1. 1.2 is consider and mitigate development impacts on the watershed. 1.3, preserve and protect natural surface streams. 1.4, develop stream corridor buffers. And going on to 2.1, minimizing grading and steep slope development. 2.3, protect the urban tree canopy throughout Lawrence. And 2.4, preserve and sustain native woodlands. Good evening, Morgan Hannings. Uh, good to see you guys all again. 
Uh, I'm up here to talk a little bit more about the density and intensity that Gene Shepard started talking about. Um, the 1966 code gives the definition for how you should calculate uh, the density for the PRD uh, district type. Um, as Gene established, you know, the Deerfield Creek does qualify as a major drainage course under the city's definitions. Um, and as she established, the average easement is not for the exclusive use and benefit of the residents. Um, you know, Evergy calls the shots on that. It's set aside and for the benefit of Evergy. Um, so if you try to, we don't know what the area of the Deerfield Creek you know, water course is, but we have information on the area of the easement. So if you back that out in the, in the calculation of density, that gets you to at least 6.1, which is 90% greater density than the adjacent RS7 district where my home is. You know, so by that criteria, you know, it, we have failed the 7C decision-making criteria. Uh, then talking about intensity, um, you know, we spoke with Gene about the code in, internally, and it's pretty statutorily, statutorily clear how the intensity should be applied. So, you know, what did it say? It said that setbacks may be, be, may be reduced provided that zoning district adjacent to the PD is more intense than the base district of the PD. So how do we look at the intensity of the adjacent dis, of the base district in comparison to the adjacents? You can look at the use types. The PRD allows duplex developments. That's a more intense type of development than the single family detached homes in the RS10 and RS7. So there's one. Um, and then what type of density is allowed. The PRD2 for the 66 code allows 15 dwelling units per acre. This one, I believe, is limited to eight, so eight dwelling units per acre. The RS10 and RS7 districts allow a max of four and six dwelling units per acre, respectively. So again, the PRD is more intense than the adjacent. You know, so by, that, by those metrics, you should not approve the setback variance. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor, Commissioners. My name is Brady Flannery. Um, thank you for your time tonight. And the city staff through the last few months, you know, these residents have been engaged. Um, I think there's an understanding that the city is prioritizing infill development. However, as was mentioned earlier, and I'll take it a little further, infill development must not pose a reasonable threat to these homes and existing residences. To um, highlight a few of the bullet points on why this development should not be approved, uh, based on kind of some key criteria put out by the city, and through the code, criteria eight, the risk to existing homes caused by moving Deerfield Creek, Deerfield Creek has not been appropriately mitigated to the maximum possible extent. Instead, the proposed development plan maximizes risk by moving the creek and water towards existing homes. In criteria one, the proposed development builds on a steep slope, moves a creek, removes an established ecosystem, and um, I would uh, echo what probably hasn't been looked at with this Fall Creek runoff. Criteria 7C, the density calculations are incorrect and do not meet the criteria 7C because the proposed development increases density and um, we've seen different 
ways to calculate that. You know, th this just, quite frankly, is not who we are. It doesn't pass a common sense test. And we would all um, encourage you and ask you to please not approve this development. Any other public comment on this item? Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. My name is Ronald Schneider. I represent, I'm an attorney in Lawrence. I represent Margaret Rose at 217 Arizona Place, also identified as lot four in the plans. I will try to wrap this up without being redundant. You've heard information that's very pre precise and direct. I too want to make highlights. Lots four and five, based upon the reports and the valuations even by the applicant, indicate that they're the most vulnerable properties with this stream as is and in the future if it is modified at all. There is clear evidence that this stream's impact and potential serious problems will be increased by this project. There will be increased erosion. There will be increased flooding. I direct your attention to what has been identified as slide 15, and I don't know what you have on your, your docket, but the, uh, slide seven, excuse me, slide 15 indicates my client's erosion. Again, Miss Rose, that identifies erosion on both sides of the stream as is, and will, will get worse. There's no, pro there's no doubt about that. Look at the video. This is the most telling and important document and evidence you have before you. Again, this was erroneously identified as a 10-year flood. It is a five-year flood. The question is, what will a 10 or 100-year flood result in damage to the properties, the flooding, the erosion? Based upon the engineer's response hired by a number of the citizens, that engineer's report challenges many of those presented by the applicant. In this situation, I suggest to you that there are far many problems that have not been answered. Even your own engineer has expressed some vague opinions and not very definitive about what may happen and what the process includes. It's clear that the public process, if approved by you, is nil to none when it comes to input. There should be an environmental study in advance. It requires the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers evaluation, which should be done in advance and supervised by the EPA as required by law. Simply stated, this plan is defective and will result in flooding and harm to my client, her neighbors, and everyone in that area of the stream. No one has talked about property devaluation. This will cause property devaluation. Who would buy this property knowing what has happened and what is likely to happen in the future? I suggest to you that this particular plan is defective, and I ask that you look at the evidence objectively, recognizing that it should be denied. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Other public comment on this item? It doesn't go down anymore. Okay, good. You're fine, you're good. Thank you. <laughs> I am gonna take some deep breaths because I have a lot to say, okay. Mm -hmm. I only have three minutes, okay. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. It doesn't start Thank until God. You... What's that? So it doesn't start until you start speaking. Okay. I feel okay. Good. Although it is 8:30. Oh, if anybody else wants to take a deep breath, <laughs> we have been. I just there's been a lot here. This is not part of it, but there's been a lot here tonight that I actually wasn't prepared for. Um, so. We are holding an immense amount of space. And I want to just honor every single person in this room. Because it's been a lot. Um, okay, I'm almost there, I swear. Okay. <sighs> okay. So my name is Rachel Aloy. I live here in Lawrence. I live in the Brick Creek neighborhood. I'm actually um, on the backside of Burroughs Creek on Haskell Street. Um, uh, Haskell Avenue is uh, correct, okay. Anyways, I came to, to school to study wildlife biology here at Baker University in Baldwin City. And I've spent over a decade traveling back and forth to Costa Rica building uh, wildlife bridges. Where we would string ropes up between trees so that animals could safely cross um, above the road. When the pandemic hit, I was a brand new mom. And so we weren't able to go back to Costa Rica. We still haven't been back since it's been four years, over four years. It grounded me in a way that I hadn't been grounded in Kansas before. Um, and I started looking around. I was like, I don't even see the habitat. How do I connect? How do I do this work that feels so good when I can't even see the habitat to connect? But it turns out that that's not true. I just realized I didn't have my eyes open. This morning, I did something I haven't done since I was in Costa Rica, which is I went, I woke up at five o'clock in the morning, I went to Fall Leaf Creek, I sat down with my field recorder, my notebook, and I listened to the dawn chorus. And what the dawn chorus is, it's when as soon as night ends and the sun comes up, all the animals wake up and they all sing. And I just recently found out that moisture in the air carries animal song farther, which is why a lot of birds, and when I was in Costa Rica, I was studying howler monkeys, why they might be calling to each other in the morning. I was greeted by a barred owl first, then by a second barred owl. And I sat there with my recorder and I recorded 29 species of bird and I want you to know that this is significant because in my neighborhood, I'm on the backside of a creek, we do not have this sort of diversity. After I sat there for two hours, I walked the creek and identified 15 native trees. And this is not me entering the other side of the property, this is me just walking. What we have here is special and significant. This is a, and also I met a neighbor and she said, you know, I wish that there was an endangered species here so they just wouldn't take this away. And I want you to know, because I only have a few seconds left, this is the endangered species. It's community that care. You have an opportunity to make a different decision about development. Time. Thank you, Rachel. Thank, Thank you, you so Rachel. much. I Thank appreciate you. your time, truly. Other public comment on this item? Any public comment on Zoom?
No, Mayor. Thank you. We'll bring it back to the commission. I did have a question for Tony, our, our attorney. So if this gets built and their um, problems rise with the flooding that wasn't anticipated as part of this modeling, who would be responsible for that, any sort of damage that was done from that? Mayor, um, we could have a conversation about that in an executive session, but I'm not prepared to give that answer in this, in this setting. Okay, thank you. Make sure there's not any other questions. Any oh, other Randy, questions? Yeah. Randy? I, I had a question maybe for Randy or Tony on the, 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 the questions brought up on exclusive use and that definition as well as the, uh, you know, well, I asked that question first. On the density calculation and the, and the question about exclusive use, have you looked at that or um, are you comfortable with, with Kyle's um, memo on that issue? This is Randy Larkin, uh, Deputy City Attorney. Um, well, I haven't looked at it. We haven't looked at that. Um, just there ha unfortunately, there's no clear answer on what I can find from where I'm looking. That's the 1966 code. There hasn't been a decision. So basically, ultimately, the uh, definition of what exclusive use will come down to what the city commission finds is exclusive use. I'm not aware of how the easement works there. I do know there is an easement for Evergy. If it does limit the ability of people to use the open space, it may not be exclusive in the in the city commission's findings. Um, other e types of easements, you know, people can use the above ground and without any problems, and it might very well be exclusively for it. So that's something that the city commission is going to have to apply the facts to it and, and apply that law and determine what, what they mean by exclusive from 1966. So I had another question about um, setbacks. It was brought up that setbacks can only be granted if it, the surrounding area has a higher density. Is that? This Randy Larkin, uh, Deputy City Attorney, yes, under the city code, uh, you have the authority to waive those or reduce the setbacks, but the density of the properties next to it has to be more dense. So that is a true statement. So the adjacent properties aren't, there's not more dense, not to each other, they're the same density. Is that, is that right? The duplexes are higher density. So I guess, are we applying that correctly when they're asking for a variance from 10 to five feet? This Ray Larkin, Deputy City Attorney, if the properties are, are more dense, then yes, you can apply the, that waiver. But if they are not more dense, then um, you cannot. And then I'll let Kyle or Jeff Crick amplify that. Please do. Kyle Kobe with planning. So uh, speaking of the density uh, question that you that just came up from uh, 20.701 F4, 
Um, what that code section states is the zoning district adjacent to the PD districts is more intense than the base district of the PD, according to the lesser change table. Um, so as you see in the staff report, basically the way that, that staff evaluated this, given the nature of plan developments, is to take the density of the proposed development and districts. And when we ran that analysis, we came to the conclusion that the density of this proposed development, while it is a duplex use, that use is not specifically mentioned. And um, because of the nature of development plans, uh, being that it sort of locks it in as its own, for lack of a better word or lack of a better way to describe it, its own zoning district, we took that design intensity and used that as the comparison rather than try to find a way to translate from the 1966 code zoning districts into the current land development code districts and, and use an analysis that way. Um, and I believe I explained that correctly. I'll let um, Jeff and or Randy correct me if I did not, but I, I think that I got that. Yeah, you might have to run that back for commissioner sellers again. Could, could you expound on that, Randy, or? Or uh, Jeff, I'm sorry, Jeff. Jeff, great playing with all this. I'd be happy to try. I think I've covered it quite, uh, quite in depth. I'm not sure I can really add too much to it. But with the PRD zoning that was in place, you can do eight dwelling units per acre as it is currently adopted and on the book. So they have the ability to do the eight dwelling units per acre. And because PRD does not exist in the lesser change table, we looked at the design intensity that kind of dwelling use per acre as the common measurement to look across the districts to understand how density, excuse me, how intensity was working through that measurement. And so as we looked at the RS10 and the RS5 districts, they do have different numbers because the minimum of 7,000 square foot in the RS7 and the minimum of 10,000 square foot in the RS10 we calculated using the more restrictive of the two, the RS10 district, to understand that that common number coming across the district. So based on the numbers that we were looking at, it was the RS10 was about, um, forgive me, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, I want to say 4.4, 4.3, 4.4, looking at the proposed development, which was pencils out to be about 4.04, I believe, or 4.1. That was our way of kind of interpreting and trying to bring those codes across to understand a, a common measurement for the intensity of the districts. So I, I hope I've maybe mm. kind of put a line mm -hmm. on that. There are questions for uh, on that. I don't have a question about that. Do you have another? Okay. Everybody clear on that? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> questions. <laughs> um can someone from staff um, talk about the requirement of, if there is one, I guess, of the Corps of Engineer and or the EPA doing a uh, study before this could proceed, or where that falls in the process? Yeah, kind of what's engineering. Um, that would be part of the public improvement projects. Uh, I think this project would be conditional on getting a, a 404 permit 
from the Corps of Engineers for the waters of the U.S. Uh, for for any changes that are made to the stream. So with that said, um, with the conversation around the agreement with Evergy, if this was approved, would there need to be a more formal agreement or some type of contractual contract between the developer and this project to show that Evergy is an agree in agreement with the developer using this, that buffer space or the easement space as open space? The use of the energy where the power lines are as open space for this project. And I'm hearing there's an agreement. I'm hearing there should be a contract. My question is, which one is it? And at what point would it need to be included in this process? So right now we don't have anything formalized on the books. I know that these plans have been run past the um, Evergy reviewers. Um, I'm not sure what their official title is. Um, and I did not get any comments back saying that that's not going to be allowed. Uh, to my knowledge, there, there's nothing formalized at this point. I think we would need to see something along those lines prior to the final development plan, final plan being recorded. I think that's something that would play out during that process. Um, but so it wouldn't necessarily be something that we would do right now. But I think it would be required prior to finishing. Thank you, Sal. I don't know who would answer the question. Maybe this is, well, Phil, I don't know. The, the comment about the water coming off the cul-de-sac and coming down, is that being released into the creek as discussed? I guess in my mind, the water coming from above was being caught and taken down the sanitary sewer line along the street. But can someone clarify where that water is going? Um, it's engineering. There's uh, at Fall Creek Farms on Hidden Lane. There's a, a cul-de-sac and a storm sewer was put in that discharges uh, basically um, across the the easement, um, uh, the energy easement, and makes its way down to the stream. Um, that that's always been in the same uh, drainage subbasin. Um, so. So really, the, the timing of it has changed, but it's not additional flow uh, per se uh, as far as uh, increasing the, the total flow. Um, but it, it could have an impact on the, the peak flows that would be uh, modeled, I would say. So it is still going directly into the creek. It's not getting caught in a new stormwater system along the road and taken down a pipe. Well, I think that it is it is the plan that it would get caught in uh in the cul-de-sac of the new development and and then go through a pipe into the stream. Um that, that was shown in the I believe that was shown in the preliminary development plan. Okay. So is it it's something that would be further studied? I think so, yes. Yeah. So is that creek considered um um part of the use for the the new development um, is it waters of the state i know the city i understand the city is required to maintain it is that correct sorry asking too many questions at once sorry about that so yeah maybe i can start back so can anybody use that creek 
since it's the creek is my understanding the city has to maintain it. Um, I don't think the city has to maintain that creek. I, I think that creek is on mostly private property. Okay. So we would not be responsible for having to maintain it if it once it were was um, the project was completed. Because I had thought I heard that last time that we would be responsible for that. Yeah, I think if it's put in a drainage easement um, and there could be some conditions. So a lot of times that's a condition uh, provided on the uh, as a note notated on the preliminary development plan or the final development plan about the maintenance and ownership uh, of the of the any kind of retention or detention or a drainage easement. Okay, thank you. So if that were the case, we would have no idea what the ultimate cost of that to the taxpayer would be at this point, would we? Um, no. Any other questions? Or I guess we're at the discussion part right now. Um, well, I wanted to make sure there weren't any other legal questions because I know we've never done it, but I understand we can go and have that executive session now. Have it's been stood in the past anyway by legal staff that if we have a question like that, we may recess and get that answer. Yes, that's correct. You'd have to make a formal motion and um, second, it'd have to be recorded in the minutes like a normal executive session. Okay, is there interest? It's fine. So I'll make a motion. <laughs> I would move a recess into executive session for approximately five, five minutes. Ten minutes, five ten minutes, minutes, ten, ten minutes. minutes to discuss um, a matter um, with our attorney. Justification for the executive session is to protect uh, the attorney-client privilege. Okay. Got a second. And, and what you'll return back in this room at the conclusion? Yes, and the city commission will resume its regular meeting at the conclusion of the executive session. Do I have a second? Second. second. I got a first and several seconds. Um, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? We'll be back in 10 minutes. And we don't have anything to report, but we'll continue on with this issue. issue and we were in the discussion portion of our deliberations. So, any discussions? Um, Kyle, uh, I don't know if anywhere during um, our discussion or questions you went, you went to went into how um, planning's decision on this matched up with the nine uh, decision-making criteria? Golden factors. Um, so Kyle Kobe with planning. Yeah, um, just to kind of summarize those, um, this comes from section 20-1304D9. Um, in reviewing and making decisions on proposed preliminary development plans, review and decision-making bodies shall consider at least the following factors. Um, first one, the preliminary development plan's consistency with the comprehensive plan, the preliminary development plan's consistency with the uh, PD standards of section 20-701, including the statement of purpose, 
the nature and extent of common open space in the PD, the reliability of the proposals for maintenance and conservation of common open space, the adequacy or inadequacy of the amount and function of common open space in terms of the densities and dwelling types proposed in the plan, whether the preliminary development plan makes adequate provisions for public services, provides adequate control over vehicular traffic, and furthers the amenities of light and air, recreation, and visual enjoyment, whether the preliminary development plan will measurably and adversely impact development or conservation of the neighborhood area by doubling or more the traffic generated by the neighborhood, proposing housing types, building heights, or building massings that are incompatible with the established neighborhood pattern, or increasing their residential density 34% or more above the density of adjacent residential properties, whether potential adverse impacts have been mitigated to the maximum practical extent, and the last one, the sufficiency of the terms and conditions proposed to protect the interest of the public and the residents of the PED in the case of a plan that proposes development over a period of years. So I said a whole bunch of things all in a row right there. If you need a reference, the, these are the same factors that you see in your staff report. And these are the same ones that, that staff reviewed this by. Um, any sort of decision um, would need to be based on, on these factors. Um, but again, if you needed to reference back to them, um, the, they are the same ones that are in your staff report under the review and decision-making criteria section. And they're in uh, bold and sort of numbered. Thank you, Kyle. Kyle, I'm, I'm looking back at the uh, the memo from March 14th, and I'm looking at under those nine facts, number three, the nature and extent of the common open space. There's a section in here that says that the average easement, which is about 2.37, serves as a dedicated open space. And there's a section in here that says that the area designated as open space is also the area in which the overhead trans transmission lines are located. While this area may not be suitable for structures, it could function as recreational space. Evergy representatives did not provide comment on the designation of this area as open space. And then Safline says the PDP provides common open space that exceeds the required 20% and that the plan has proposed meets the requirements for the land space. So, I mean, I'm I'm looking at this. We're we're calling a space that could not be utilized for structures to be okay for open space and recreation, which has pushed back the design against the adjacent neighborhood and puts a lot in play as to is this shared space, open space, and what. I, I mean, I feel like that piece alone, that doesn't sit well with me. Um, it's, if you don't have an agreement with Evergy for that, then it's not an open space and we don't have this project. We don't have this design in front of us. And so I, you know, I just have concerns of that being considered an open space and, or, and, and that it functions as a recreation space. I don't remember as a kid being able to play around power lines. So <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's kind of sticking in my craw right now. So do we want to go through each one of these 
Because uh, that's not the only one that's bothersome. No. That's one that sticks out for me. I'd love to. Want to go ahead? Mayor. <laughs> um, the first one, I think some of the um, points made, and I had noticed them in the comprehensive plan too, I think were um, more valid um, with respect to plan 2040. Um, managing water resources, natural habitat, um, protecting natural surface streams. And then there's several of them here that, um, and, and this is also kind of in the context of our continued commitments uh, to sustainability um, in other spaces. And, um, and, and, you know, we look around the country and we don't have to look far to find where climate change particularly with respect to flooding is um, a fact. Um, and I'm quite concerned that this is um, ignoring all those parts of our plans, not just this one that, that refer to sustainability. Any agreements? Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, that's, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I, mean, I don't know if, how we want to do this. If we want to go through each one or whatever. I mean, I, you know, I do think, you know, that big, you know, one, you know, the staff reports finding of, of the consistency with the comprehensive plan. Um, you know, I certainly don't disagree with what they have in there, right? Um, which is, um, you know, infill development. Um, you know. Um, encourage integration of higher density residential development through compatible design, you know, those sorts of infill development. And certainly the overall sustainability issue, as we talked a, a couple of meetings ago, when you're looking at sustainability of Plan 2040, you're looking at sustainability of the entire county. And one of the ways we protect um, a lot of land around the city in a lot of areas around the city, a lot of stream beds and, and all of that is by having density within the city. Um, and so I think there's um, a balancing act there of not just looking at this one proposal and saying this one proposal you know, negatively impacts the environment because frankly, almost everyone, every proposal negatively impacts the environment. The question is how does that balance in the total scheme of things. So again, don't disagree with you on one hand. Um, on the other hand, I think, you know, there's always going to be these competing goals. So, um, you know, I, on that particular one on the, you know, balancing the comprehensive plan, I, I'd certainly come down um, on the staff on that one. I mean, obviously there's other ones to talk about, but, but I hear what you're saying. Who else would like to you want to go on or you want somebody else to number two does anyone have issues with number two no I'd support the staff finding on that one as well I would as well number three which is what Commissioner Sellers just discussed. Any other comments on that then? I would like to go back to number one. Okay. Briefly. 
and that is consistent consistency with the comprehensive plan i think there's a lot of this this, this project that does does really go bode, bodes towards our comprehensive plan the density piece of it um those are the type of projects that we're wanting to bring forth where i think this one falls short for me anyway is um some of the criteria within the plan that that um um, says that we need to develop um, buffers around our streams that um, how does this project impact our watersheds and I don't think that's been very well addressed in the proposal um, and so in fact as far as buffers go stream buffers go we are actually removing some buffers by moving that stream you're actually taking away some buffer zone on that um, east side of, of the property towards the Arizona place and that and where the houses are being proposed pretty close to that creek you don't have much of a buffer I don't see a buffer anyway and so I'm really concerned about that because um, those are really important especially when you have a high velocity water that can run through there it can wipe those buffers out pretty quickly so that's other than that I mean you know I think it does largely fall within our comprehensive plan but it sure does not um, bode to our our um, idea of what we need as far as stream protection rose and protection protection okay um, any other comments on what of number three which is what Commissioner Sellers was talking about Yeah, I think the the idea of um, just the question on the, this density and what is um, open or what is space that's dedicated completely to that development versus what is is not, and that's a that's a question that I have that was not addressed. Yeah, I guess I would say that probably goes more to the Comments? variance request more so than this one. Yeah, the calculation of the of yeah. the density. Yeah, I mean, I hear what Commissioner Sellers is saying. I you know I think you know open space um, again I think the question here is you know is that common open space um, you know I think that's different than the exclusive use which is a, a technical issue under the 66 code on whether or not we can create a variance um, this doesn't require common exclusive open space it just requires open space so yeah um, I think that's something you know and again it's pretty common in 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 all of our proposals under the new code that easements constitute open space be it an easement for a water line or an easement for um you know the the power line behind your house or whatever and we consider those open space again i think that's a different question than the exclusive use which is required under the 66 code right right I would agree. Um, having been around in that area, I saw a little bit further up the hill that there were residents that were using that as open space. <laughs> so, um, now granted, like you said, this is has to do with the language of the 1966 code more so than that. Um number four is somewhat connected to number three I guess if we can't um, be entirely certain who's responsible for the open space or the the common open space then do we have a reasonable understanding of who's responsible for the maintenance and conservation that would be an agreement between Evergy I presume and 
yeah. the developer, but to be named later? Well, no, the land is owned, would be owned by the HOA, so they would have the duty to maintain the, mm -hmm. the land. Um, the easement could prevent them from doing certain things, but it wouldn't prevent them from maintaining the land. It might prevent them from building a tower or something, but... Um, or a soccer field. You know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but not maintaining it. Okay, number five. Reading it again. Space. Again, I support this, the staff finding on number five. Yeah. We okay with number five? I would as well. Okay, number six, the PDP. Provisions for public services, provides adequate control over vehicle traffic, and furthers the amenities of light and air. Yeah. I'm good with that. Anybody else? Yeah. I don't have any issue there. Okay. Yeah. Number seven. Very specific. Number very. seven, very specific. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Where the PDP will measurably and adversely impact development or conservation of the neighborhood area by doubling or more the traffic proposed in housing types, building heights, and building masses that are incompatible with the established neighborhood pattern and increasing the residential density 30% or more above the density of adjacent residential properties. What do you think of that? I don't disagree with the staff finding on that. I mean, the 34%. But that was that that's it. Density was calculated on the on the base of that the adjacent properties had a higher density rating or higher density ability than what was actually built there. Is that right? They could potentially have more density on their properties. Correct. Yeah, I mean, the traffic would be funneled to just yeah that that part of the development. I wouldn't have. I I would agree. Staff finding on that. Yeah. Okay. Next one, number eight. We're where the potential adverse impacts have been mitigated to the maximum, maximum practical extent. I, I have concerns about this one. I, I don't think we have enough information. For me, um, you know, staff has indicated that they, when they looked at the model, that they only looked at the existing condition, conditions. They didn't look at it through the eyes of what it would what would happen um, once the stream was moved or the work was done. 
so I'm concerned about that. And um, staff also indicated that there are erosion concerns there now and that stabilization needs to occur. Um, and when I asked them, you know, how comfortable they are and uh, with this and, and, you know, just discussion along the, well, it could go either way potentially. Uh, I'm just concerned that we don't have, an, I don't have enough information to really, really answer that one. On this one, I, I'm a little bit more because of how many eyes will be on this um, and how, you know, in terms of what permits they will need to get. Mm -hmm. Um, what verifications they'll need to get from different agencies. Uh, I agree with you, Mayor. I don't, I don't think that I, I have enough um, trust in the processes that, that we've actually addressed, particularly the long-term impacts um, of, of moving the stream, um, particularly. Um, and and then I do also want to bring up my my point about this um, inadvertently um, or or by agreement through the continuation of this process something becoming the responsibility of the taxpayer that is not currently, which is the 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 care of this particular stream. Okay. Um, we don't have a plan for that. Okay. Anybody else on this item? I guess I would lean with Commissioner Littlejohn that the, we're a long way from, I mean, I understand your point that you don't have enough information, but um, that's because the process isn't done yet. I mean, it's the, the we have to do a public improvement plan. We have to go through um, possibly the Corps of Engineers and EPA, you know. Um, we have to have an approved plan um, that is approved, and so, I understand the concern that, um, that we don't have enough information yet, but you know, again, that's in the zoning decisions. This is the preliminary part of it, and you have to get to the final. And so, um, you know, I think that's the part of the the process um, that you won't have an answer to, but you have to trust the process. And you have to trust trust the staff. I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I do have concerns about this one, and I appreciate your thoughts on that. But I, yep. I, I wouldn't just, I wouldn't agree because it talks about have been mitigated, and I don't see any plans that show that. Um, so that's where my concern is. Anything else on this item number eight? Did we have anybody speak to the variances and the the flood models? where one was claiming it was a 10-year, but it was feeding it, it was a five-year. Right. I, Commissioner Sellers, I think they were referring to the uh, the plan proposed by land plan, so. Right, I was wanting to know, did land plan have anything to say about the model not being accurate? Uh, and uh, Phil Struble, land plan. First of all, I apologize. I ought to know better than to sit next to that fan over there. So you're I'm okay. really working hard to you're okay. hear what you're saying. Uh, if your question was about the, the 
discrepancy between the five-year and ten-year storm. I mean, that wasn't our that wasn't our data. Our data is all dealing with the hundred-year HECRAS model that we submitted. I, I think that was provided by somebody else. Okay. Yeah. Okay. My mistake. Yeah, that's why I wanted the actual conferee to come up and share with me what 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 it was. I think that was who was. That the neighborhoods. Was that Chris? Chris that was talking about that? Yeah, Chris. Yeah. About the five year. Yeah, well, I showed I, the video is right. what five year flood looks like, and that goes way above the red dots on the land plan that shows what a 10 year and 100 year would be, be below those red dots, but we have empirical evidence of hey, this is a five-year flood. It looks a whole lot worse than what the model is showing. Even a hundred-year flood looks like. So that, that's what I was trying to demonstrate okay. using uh, the, the NOAA and Lawrence data about what a five-year, what a ten-year flood, five-year flood looks like. And then mm -hmm. looking at an actual storm, we have a video of it. Right. <laughs> Just kind of ironically, one of the neighbors took a video of that flood in his backyard, and it turned out that was a five-year flood, and that is way worse than the model showing what a 100-year flood would even look like. So that raises a big question in my mind of the, the data, not, not, not Mr. Struble's work, but like the, the rain model going into that, which in the past was brought up by one of the, the, the folks talking about, hey, a lot of the rain data is old. You know, with global warming and, and some of that stuff's just out of date and doesn't predict what you're going to see in the future. Got it. Thank you. Okay. So on to, we're done with number eight. Huh. Number nine, sufficiency of the terms and conditions proposed to protect the interest of the public and the residents of the PD in the case of a plan that proposed development over a period of years. Yeah, I, I don't apply. have confidence. Uh, how so? <laughs> um, so, uh, staff's finding the plan state the common open space sidewalks and drives shall be owned and maintained by the homeowners association. No, no comment on the stream. Why is the stream not considered? Mm. Um, and. I guess I was focused on the second sentence, which is a, a plan that's <laughs> developed over a period of years. Obviously, sometimes you have these PDPs that, you know, are much bigger than this and develop, you know, an apartment complex first and then a C store later, and you know, like um, six and six and Wakarusa. That was a PDP that covered 50 acres, and it went over a period of time. Um, so I, I, I think this is just a one. I'm finding. I'm <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm looking at the second sentence. The preliminary development plan is a single phase residential project, which does not propose a development over a period of years. So the second sentence of that. Any other comments? The one and eight seem to be the biggest issues, although... Mr. Shipley certainly has some concerns yeah. about others as well. Yeah. 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 Oh, and three. Are you still holding yeah, those reservations? <laughs> Are you still Apparently holding not. reservations on number three? Okay. Yes, I mean, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this would be a project in front of us if that was in play. Right. I honestly, I mean, that piece of land is integral to this project. And if it's not, and depending on the interpretation, 
of it, we may have, I mean, we're discussing something that may or may not be because of that. And I understand trusting the process. I mean, I've echoed that. Um, and it, I mean, this just conflates a lot of things right now of, of hypotheticals that within the process, a lot of density, we're flagrantly using infill and talking about the benefits of infill, but to what costs? Is there detriment? Is there detriment to the current homeowners? Will there be detriment to the future homeowners under their HOA? Is there going to be detriment to the environment? Is there going to be detriment to the stress that might be put on our system, on our, on our infrastructure? So that's a lot of heavy things that I'm thinking about right now, about as it relates to just number three. Add one and eight to that, it doesn't make this decision any easier. <laughs> Other thoughts? Support otherwise? For the most part, um, I would, yes, three is, gives me a little bit of pause, but otherwise I can see the through line of what this, of the, you know, staff approval of this. So, um, and the process itself does, as Commissioner Finkeldai said, require a little bit of trust in it um, regarding, you know, the, the uh, public improvement plan and permits needed and um, the studies to be conducted. So um, I, I don't think I'm changed very much from my initial stance in our earlier meeting of uh, trusting the process and trusting the engineers on this. Okay. Other thoughts? I guess a question for Randy, or probably Randy, I guess. I mean, obviously, if the motion was to approve this, um, we have the the uh, planning commission report, so we need, either need f four votes to approve it or three votes It's in the back. Is that correct? Larkin, Deputy City Attorney, yes. The recommendation of the planning commission was uh, to deny so to override the planning commission's recommendation you would need four votes to approve the preliminary development plan if there was something you needed the planning commission to do further uh it would take three votes to send it back but you would have to have something concrete for them to work on or some issue that you needed to be done otherwise it just would not pass and if Counting votes up here does not appear that we have. Um, for, I mean, if, if we were going to do a a, a denial, um, if that's where the voted land, what would you recommend on the findings of fact for that? As a, since we're not relying on the staff report, uh, I would. This Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney, based on the evidence that was presented before you and the deliberations of the of the city commission we would put that in the city in the findings of fact inclusions of law would we, we, we just do that 
tonight in the motion or would you want to come back with something? We would we would bring something back to you. It would probably I wouldn't have time enough to turn it around before the next meeting, but it would be in May, first part of May. Okay. Okay. So we want to proceed with um do we have enough information, Brandy, to proceed? This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. I, I've listened to your deliberations and, and what your comments are, and um, I would have enough. If you don't have enough to proceed and, and you need more information, that's a different that's a different question. Mm -hmm. okay. So is there information that we need um, if we were to potentially send this back if we didn't have the votes? Is there anything specifically we'd want to hear from the Planning Commission? Well, I, I said this last time, you know, I was concerned that the Planning Commission did not really, really address the eight factors, at least, you know, step by step. Right. Um, and I was concerned about that. Um, you know, they obviously moved to deny it, I think based mainly upon the on the issue of the stream, which is a big issue, but they didn't really address the eight factors or how they they landed that. So that that would be my motion to send it back. But if we don't have you know, whether or not we have three votes, you know. Yeah. That seems like a lot of, you know, so that's the, that's the question. And Commissioner Fingledy, if I, to continue to elaborate on that, where we came to the decision to defer, because we initially talked about sending it back because of not addressing the nine areas, as it related to the stream, and then we pivot to defer to give time to have staff come back and to, to give us an evaluation of their assessment. I don't know if we got that fully or maybe we felt like we, I don't know where anyone, I don't want to speak for everyone, um, but based on the information that we received today, which <laughs> may have some variance to it as to what the Planning Commission received, then we go back to your original request of having this go back to planning commission, have them look at this from the lens of the nine findings. As a commission, it sounds like we've pushed hard on one, three, and eight. Have them look at that, and then it comes back to us. I'm just proposing at this point. I don't. Quite, I don't. Discussion. I guess I don't understand do, the point. Okay. Yeah. Do we? Do we have the votes to send it back? Even <laughs> that's the question. I don't know, but that's. Mm. I, I'm. You know. I, I know I where can. I stand, it, and right now I can't approve this as it's written, and in, in regards to the buffer, buffer area. I mean, that's extremely important with streams. I, you know, that's my background as a geologist for 30 some years, and that's what we worked with, both underground and above ground water, and when you start altering streams it's um it, it can be pretty complicated and it also has a tendency if it's depending on how it's done and what the what the criteria is you these are heavy slopes um to get that to work the way we want it to it it sometimes it just doesn't work and i don't i don't see where there's a lot of margin for error in this um and that's concern that's very concerning to me and the buffering is is so is as i said was extremely important and what i see with this stream 
is you're removing bu buffer from it, and um, you, and, and that's just going to make the situation worse in my professional experience as a licensed geologist. So I'm very concerned about that, as well as the density issues that were brought up in the, oh, the space use. Uh, what I'm trying to get at is what would be the right. point of sending it back to right. the planet? That's what I'm, I, I don't I know. Did, okay, so let, mm -hmm. let me be clear, because apparently mm -hmm. I wasn't. I, I wasn't suggesting I we send it back. Mm -hmm. I was suggesting something to get a motion going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we've been doing a lot of discussion, but mm -hmm. no one's motioning mm -hmm. on what they want to do. Mm -hmm. So if someone wants to motion to deny, mm -hmm. then motion to deny and we take a vote. If that vote doesn't work, then we come back with another motion mm -hmm. until we have consensus. Right. Getting right. back to those parliamentary roots here, folks. Mm -hmm. Free to make a so. Then, uh, well, I'll make a motion. I'm, you know where I stand. I move to deny the preliminary development plan PDP-22-00224 for Fall Creek Villas with the side yard setback modifications outlined in the staff report, based on the findings of facts presented in the body of the staff report and subject to the following condition: City Commission approval of the side yard setback reduction from the required 10 feet to the Opposed five feet. I think you need. You don't need that part. I think you need to say based upon the, the findings of the city commission, not the findings. Of the right. Yeah, right. Findings of the city commission. Sorry about that. I got wrapped up in it. Second. I've got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All opposed? Nay. It um, passes. The motion passes three to two. Okay, we're on to city commission items. No, it, mm -hmm. don't we have to have a supermajority? Not to not to not to, not to deny. deny. Not to deny. Okay. Not to deny. <laughs> well, I got a lot of feedback on that one. For your approval, your signature. All right, so we are on to city commission items. Everybody want to leave? Let them leave. <laughs> yeah. If you guys want to head out, and, or if you want to stay, talk with us. <laughs> we would like public comment. <laughs> I have a quick commission item just to recognize that um, April 10th through the 17th is Black Maternal Health Week. Um, for those who may have forgotten, when we met in December, when we discussed um, our ARPA funds, we did designate um, funding in the amount of $250,000, I do believe, to the doulas of Douglas mm -hmm. County. Um, for those who are not familiar with Black Maternal Health Week, um, it has been celebrated for several years now, more on a national level. Um, and it is a way of recognizing the need to create birthing justice for women and birthing persons, especially those of the BIPOC community and specifically the black community. We know that black women are 21 more times more likely to suffer uh, pregnancy complications um, simply because of our race. And that does not, and that's controlling for um, economic status as well as education. So whether you're me, Little lady down the street, Beyonce or Serena Williams, um, we all face um, 
we all face a risk and a fear of going into the hospital and possibly not going out. So just wanted to lift up and recognize that we do have a wonderful partner in this work, which is the doulas of Douglas County. Um, we've um, had our county, what our part, current partnership with the health department has done work to provide focus groups and information and insight into what black maternal health, um, how that's impacted here in our own county. And um, I would highly encourage those, uh, if you, to watch um, the documentary on PBS um, titled uh, Birthing Justice. Um, it is something that is just, wor just worthy enough to immense oneself in understanding how um, systemic, um, systemic and institutional isms, um, wherever they are, do have lasting impacts that while that that may not be confronting us now, the residue is still there and there's so much work that needs to be done uh, to address that. And, and we are doing that through our health assessment plan, um, through our strategic plan as well. Um, these are indirect, uh, but they do play a great role in saving the life um, of a black mama and their baby. Thank you. Thank you. Any other commission items? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know this is a kind of a city manager's report item as well, but I want to commend the city um, on uh, what they're doing with the Juneteenth holiday. Uh, it's long overdue, in my opinion, and uh, I'm glad that we caught up with the county and the school district. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to recognize all the folks for that. Thank you. If there's no other commission items, we'll move on to the city manager report. Thank you, Mayor. Um, yes, that's what I was going to highlight, and um, better that you um, brought it forward. This is a this is a community commitment, and uh, we're really proud to finally do it and uh, put everything in place to support that. Um, the also on there is an is an update on the uh, education campaign that you all had urged us to do in support of the ordinance. Uh, for the housing protections, so um, we were committed to that to that work, and that's the plan that we've laid out. Uh, sales tax report is up uh, another uh, quarter of um, increases, which is helpful. And then future agenda items. Happy to answer any questions. Any questions for Craig? I do no. have a question in regards to the engagement for the source of income. I don't know if staff is on here. Um, I'm looking at the dates for engagement. Well, one, it said that uh, informational article was provided in the flame. Mailing inserts will be included in all utility bills for Lawrence residents. Um, you know, I, I live in an apartment, and my water is included in my rent, so I won't ever get a mailing insert. Um, so for apartment residents who would be greatly impacted by source of income, they won't get the mailings. So you might want to think about that. Um, also the community engagement meetings, um, you know, May 9th, I do believe kind of hits Mother's Day weekend, stop day finals, May 24th, that's 
might be post commencement, commencement weekend, commencement, week of commencement. So what I'm speaking to here is our individuals that live in apartments as well as students who will definitely be impacted by source of income. Um, how would they be able to get this information and are we doing anything targeted to ensure that students of our fine institutions here are knowledgeable and aware that these community engagement opportunities are available for them and they are encouraged to attend. Any, any other questions? If not, we go, this is a public. Whoops. Those are noted and we will, we will make some efforts to uh, enhance this and address specifically those uh, concerns that you Thank you. Identify. Thank you. Okay, this is open for public comment. Anybody want to make public want to make public comment on these items? Come on up. Yep. Linda Long, um, I just have a question. Um, how are we as the landlords going to receive the updates on the education campaign for the 9960 ordinance? That's a good question. Staff? We do have a website with information about the, the ordinance and some frequently asked questions. It's available on the city's website um, in a pretty prominent location, www.lawrenceks.org. Okay. And you can attend the, the public meetings that we're having. Um, that There may be additional ones, but the ones that are listed here on the agenda, you're welcome to attend those as well. Okay. Does that address your question? Okay. Okay. Any other public comment on this item? No, Mayor. We got somebody coming up there. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, get online. Hi. Is that okay? Go right ahead. Just go to the microphone there. You see okay. the yeah. I'm Mary Beth Harmon, and I'm a landlord. And we have a mom and pop operation, which a lot of people do, that are affected by what is being done with accepting the vouchers with the homeless people. And I was very concerned tonight hearing what's happening in North Lawrence and the people and what's happening with them. And I'm thinking, do you really think we're qualified to handle that, to have them come and live in one of our houses that might have a drug addict? And they talked about raping. They talked about how the city staff can't take care of the situations. I know there's a lot of police that have to go over to take care of the situations. So I'm just wanting you to think about that for us. Do you really think we can handle that? And I know we're concerned about getting people into housing and I understand that, but we have to be concerned about other things too, along with it. And I'd appreciate it if you just do that for us. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment, either in the audience or on Zoom? 
There's none on Zoom here. All right. Then we are on to calendar. Um, Craig and I will be gone Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Craig? Back on Thursday. Back on Thursday. So, Bart, I will not be here. Oh. So. Why don't we run the show? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, we got meetings into the evening, I think. For that. Wait. Yeah. Boy, are you talking next week or? Next week. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the future agenda items. Yeah, that's a lot. We got May 2nd. Did we jump to May 16th? Did I miss something? Are we not meeting on the night? Oh. Just don't have anything scheduled yet. Yeah. May 9th. Nothing scheduled yet. Is that right? <laughs> Show something come up. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know. We'll just take the night off. Okay. <laughs> All right. Out of your words. So that's it. Anything else for the calendar other than that? All right. Move, Move to adjourn. adjourn. Second. You got a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? It passes five to zero. Where's the shit? It's been down here. Dropped on the road. Shit. <laughs> <laughs>